This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 30. 30, man. Like, we're just cranking them out, and this isn't even including the extras. Yeah, we have, uh, I think, three extras out at this point. Or no, two extras out, one in the can. Yep, yep. It'll be, hey. out. <laughs> It'll be out before this uh, this episode releases. Yep, and I've already got number four lined up. Okay, excellent. We're taking advantage of this uh, quarantine time. Yeah, might as well, man. So we're uh, going to go through my mentor, my coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernie Franz's book today, The Ten Commandments of Powerlifting. The Godfather. The Godfather of Powerlifting, no yeah. doubt. Uh, but to start, let's go through some loose ends from past episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and going through and printing off, actually stealing the the image of the, the original monolift uh, designs, mm-hmm. I realized the one that I sent to you was actually the UK patent. Yeah, I was, I was going to actually ask about that because I was looking at it I'm like, Okay, so this thing was patented to the UK, and then it was just this brought over here. Did, did we get this from the Revolutionary War? Is that how that worked out? Or <laughs> no, I know we won. Just remember that. No, I think there was a couple of different places that I did patent searches, and one of them was on, on the actual U.S. patent got website, it. and got one it. of them was on Google Patents. Okay, and I think the Google Patent one is where I got that PDF, which was actually the the UK patent that had been approved as well. So he actually. Uh, Ray Bad and got a patent not only in the U.S., but he also got a patent in the U.K. Trying to take it global. I like that. It's a big, big ambition. However, in both cases, it was the bench. It was the model of yeah, bench. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And honestly, lots of good feedback. We dropped that one just a couple days ago at the time we are recording this. And mm-hmm. already people were listening to it, really liking it. I think, the again, just plays into our the history of the sport people are very interested in because it is more folklore and word of mouth versus actual, like, a lot of recordings of some, whether it's written audio, video. So I think people are sure. really digging that. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's a story that I found really interesting when I yeah. saw that original post. Which, again, eventually I will, if nothing else, if not if I won't do an article itself, I'll at least copy and paste that original powerlifting watch, you know, post yeah. from Mary Lou quote Madden mm-hmm. and former um, Mrs. Madden. Former Mrs. Madden, and we'll put that out there because she really laid out the history. Now, we got some other sources as well, Rich Peters and mm-hmm. talking to Ernie Franz, but yep. I would say a big chunk of our you know research came from that specific powerlifting watch post. Yeah, definitely. And that, that does need to be saved because eventually powerlifting watch will go away, mm-hmm. um, and I would rather have it saved somewhere else because actually some of the internet forums that were linked, which mm-hmm. started the discussion on that powerlifting are watch, gone. yeah, they're gone because yeah. I think that was maybe a... An outlawpowerlifting.com or maybe a goheavy.com sure. forum post that Paul Kelso, who's a guy who's big into history of powerlifting, he's the one that did the the powerlifting timeline poster that's for sale on Inzer and a couple other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, He had commented on another forum. That's what kind of what prompted that discussion. Got it. So, Got um, it. And then just looking at the analytics, <laughs> the, uh, the story of Westside versus the World has gotten probably more, again, initial – 
downloads, listens than just about any other episode. Oh, yeah. That, that one raced very close to the top very quickly. Yeah, I think that is very likely to be one that will be one of our top episodes. I agree. Um, and hopefully people enjoyed that because it was got a lot of really good content there with Michael. It's just got a lot of a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really you have to spe- you have to dedicate some time to listen to everything that Michael had to say. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we'll have him on again um, in a few weeks to kind of re go over a little bit more of his involvement with the WPO. I mean, we sure. we said this privately that we almost could have spent an episode just on Westside versus the World, mm-hmm. and then an episode on the WPO. Agreed. Um, yeah, and an episode th- on his dad. Seriously, we <laughs> be a documentary on Mr. Fahey. That's what I'm saying, man. So anything on uh, on your end, Bane? Uh, yeah, just, again, lots of positive feedback. Uh, so interesting. This is actually a really funny story. I was telling this uh, on a Zoom call uh, right before we got in here. So a what was a prospect as of yesterday, a customer of mine actually found our podcast as he was starting to dive into the history of strength. Okay, interesting. found this about three weeks before I was introduced to him. Oh. And so we got about two calls into the the relationship that's been developing, and he reaches out to me privately. He says, "Dude, is this you?" Because he'd recognize my voice from the podcast. I'm like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, that's my podcast. That's uh, myself and uh, you know my friend Eric, and and he owns the his co owner of the gym that I train at during the week. And uh, yeah, we just started this podcast, uh, you know, a few months ago, and you know it's been going kind of cool. And he's like, "Yeah, man, I I, I love the stuff. Uh, you have a foul mouth." <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, we, that we are listed as explicit. Yeah, it's just I, I am, and Joey and John uh, Campion actually got to hear this yesterday when I actually finished the clothes on this guy uh, yesterday uh, evening while we were training. I'm just a different person in a professional setting than I am in the gym, obviously, sure. and I don't swear as much. And so he's just like, "Yeah, you swear a lot." I'm like, all right, I don't know if that's a call out or if that's um, which is interesting because I don't think we actually swear that much on the podcast. I think it's because I just I seem to just inherently put an emphasis on, especially when I say fuck. I just really put an emphasis on it. Apparently, it's funny because my son loves YouTube, as all kids love YouTube. Of course they do. Um, Nothing like watching kids open toys. Well, Ryan's what used to be Ryan's toy review is now Ryan's World. Okay, they've actually aggregated some of those best videos, and then it's on Hulu. So it's it's actually oh, yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah, on YouTube. You've got Ryan's World, and then a couple other what I think were originally YouTube videos that yeah. are now on Hulu and other platforms. Jesus. But my son's like he heard that we were putting some of the videos up now or, or videos up on YouTube. He uh-huh. said, "Oh, well, can I watch your videos and your <laughs> podcasts?" I'm like, nope. I'm like, I guess. I'm like, I don't think you'd find them very interesting. Yeah, but you never know. Yeah, I, when he's a little older and would actually understand it. Yeah, sure. And we sure. feel comfortable for him listening to Bane say, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're 12. We are. Fuck. Anyways, Bane, <laughs> other than that, what is going on? I have found uh, new ways to be lazy uh, as the quarantine has been, been going on. Uh, ordering groceries for pickup, uh, ordering more online than ever. Uh, there's an app that actually we've been looking at uh, through work. Uh, just again, a whole different scenario there, but uh, and I can track all the packages in, that I'm getting, and because they're a big partner with Amazon right now, and so I'm watching this and I'm looking at all the different stuff that comes to my house. And I'm like, my God, since I downloaded this app uh, in the middle of March, I've had 55 packages delivered to my home. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't include groceries or anything like that. That's just like the stuff that I've ordered, you know, through Amazon or, you know, whatever. Uh, some of it is supporting like smaller businesses that I enjoy. Like they were at the Arnold. Uh, Flex Comics was one of them. Sure. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a problem. Well, you're just, uh, 
You're just doing your civic duty. That's uh, what I feel like I'm doing. That's why I keep telling of, myself. Uh, staying away. Um, but uh, I, you yeah, know, as, as we're sitting here, uh, we're not six feet apart. We are not. Well, and it is something to think about because I think technology <laughs> is it's going to change the way that people do things as a result of this quarantine. People aren't going to go back to everything yes. the way they did it before. I mean, I think this online pickup for groceries and stuff like that, that was around before, no doubt. Oh, yeah. But, but I now think, it's like heavily engaged. Yeah, I think that's going to become bigger and bigger and some other things like that. And we're sitting here in a big retail space. Yeah. Um, I think retail is going to continue to become less and less important, frankly. I mean, it's not going to go away. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. the quarantine and the COVID-19 virus certainly is going to have, you know, it, of course, nothing is ever like it totally was before. No, it's there, like 9-11. It wasn't 100% back to normal, but we couldn't go back to what we considered normal at that time. Sure. Th- there will be some impacts from yeah. the fact that people have been locked in for six to eight to whatever weeks. And I, and I actually was thinking about this. I, I almost posted this on to LinkedIn. I, I decided not to because I thought I was a little aggressive for that medium. Uh, simply because like some people are, you know, people are losing their jobs, right? And they're, sure. we know people, a significant amount of people that have lost jobs, lost business and businesses. And so I hesitated to, to say it there, but here I have a little more freedom to say it. So, um, so, you know, being sensitive to everything that's going on, it, it, the COVID situation, it's real and it's challenging, right? Like we know things are happening with it. But what I've been thinking about a ton is like the post COVID-19 world and what it's going to be like. And so to, you know, to your point. What's the workplace going to look like? What are jobs going to look like? What, what's hiring going to look like? And what is like work itself going to look like? And think about just having flexibility in your operations and then the execution of your business. Now, in this case, you guys have to have space. You have to do it. Like you can't just – you can't download a bench workout and get it – like actually well, get it done. Well, you could, but you have to do it somewhere. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't actually download the work being done. You can download the, the steps to do it, but you can't download the actual bench. So that's not going to change. But the landscape's going to look very different. And so to me, what the question becomes, you know, and this is not necessarily strength related, but how are individuals and their teams preparing for that? What tools you know, are they developing, exploring? And I think this is where, again, I hesitated with the post. Learning how to become, you know, nimble in your business is how you win post-COVID-19. This is going to pass. And the people that lean in now are who are going to separate themselves because you're going to have two groups that are going to come out of this. You're going to have the people that are going to say COVID-19 ruined my life and ruined my career and ruined my business and ruined everything. And, and that's th- going to be true for some people. For to some be fair. people it is. It is. And I'm not trying to marginalize that. There are others that are going to come out of this and this seems opportunistic and it seems terrible, but they're going to say because of COVID-19, we were able to change the game. Sure. Or they maybe are the last ones standing in their industry because others. Very, yes didn't have the cash flow or didn't have the ability to find more capital or you know, whatever the reason is. Yeah, or just couldn't negotiate to extend other pieces of capital, like whatever it, it could be. Yeah, or couldn't adapt their business for a temporary Correct. time yep. period. Yep. And no, so, no doubt. So that's, that's one thing that I, I've been thinking about a lot is right now is the time to, whatever business you're in, lean into whatever you can do, whether it's create content, create value. Now is the time to do that. Sure. So that's what's going on. Stone, what's going on with you? So I've got something a little bit uh, le- <laughs> less serious. This was fun, actually. Yeah. So I, I made two posts the other day. Um, it's kind of an experiment to see, like, what would get more responses. I had my review of the 2019 Lion King, uh-huh. which I gave a C plus. Trash movie, by the way. Yeah, I gave it a C plus. I mean, it's only good because of the original Lion King, I would say. Like, oh, the original 100%. songs and the story. It's still a good story. 
And the CGI yeah. is, it's okay. Uh, I mean, it, it is lifelike, but the problem is when you're telling a story, you need to have emotion on the face of the characters. And, you know, real animals don't necessarily show the kind of emotion. No. And, and you think about the reason that cartoons make sense is because they're over-exaggerated emotions yes. and facial expressions. Especially That's, on cartoon, on animals. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. And, you know, there's they talk about how, you know, there's the big eyes mm-hmm. and, you know, there's the exaggerated emotion. Um, that's partly, I think, what made the original Lion King work. Outside of the story and the music, yeah. of course, that were outstanding. And, so. and let's be clear. Scar is like an iconic villain. He is a great villain. And, and the, that, to me, what stood out in the new Lion King was Scar was well below yes. the original Scar. Yes. He I, was just, he yeah. was kind of just a meh character. I, the voice actor was okay. The lack of facial expressions, especially on Scar, I think was the most oh, yeah. stark. That and, uh, what's the bird's name? Is that Rafiki? Oh, uh, no, Rafiki no, is Zazu. The, the, Zazu, yeah. Rafiki is the uh, the monkey. Oh, right. Zazu. Like, you're just seeing a beak going, basically. Yeah, that, yeah. And, you know, Zazu was so, you know, again, iconic in the original. Yeah. And then the, the new one, it's basically just a beak going. Yeah, and but the, Oh, gosh. I still remember the first time we meet Scar in the, in the original. And you just know he's such a slime ball by the tone in his voice. You're right. The exaggerated facial expressions and the and the oh, actual that, scar. There was like just an yeah. exaggerated scar. There wasn't many that, scars. That was today. Oh, I feel simply awful. And it wasn't just, scars. Oh, so good. It was scar because there's right. one scar. Right. So, anyways, so I made that post on the 2019 line. Fun, fun Easter egg. Where else do we see scar in the Disney universe? I don't know. You tell me. In Hercules, he is the t- he is the lion rug. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So watch that one, folks. Hmm. I don't think I've seen that movie. Another good one. You got time. Go watch it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, you know, I made a post on that. And I got a couple comments. Mm-hmm. And then I made a post on <laughs> oh my God. one space versus two spaces after periods, after punctuation marks. Right here, folks. Right here is what we're talking about. Yes. And some people were surprised. I think some people had never even heard this before. Um, I was, I don't know, but were you taught one space or two space after I was period? taught two. And then as soon as I got to high school, I changed to one and no one said a thing. Yeah, I don't remember typing anything before high school. So I remember in high school typing class and my English teachers really harping into me. It had to be two spaces. And like, at, oh, this, yeah. at this point, it's yeah. muscle memory. I just, it's two spaces after every period. And to me, it looks. Double tap. Yeah. It, to me, it looks more professional. It looks like it's easier to read. Um, I found some research that supports that, although it's very, it's very minuscule and it's probably within the margin of error. I remember like. Being told that this might have been in college, that it was almost like double spacing and doing like, I don't know if you had people that did this, but did like the 2.15 spacing. And so they would just. Oh, instead of double space. Correct. Because sure. like, I just don't have enough content. So they just kept spacing it out. And the, and the double space after a period was kind of the same concept as like, you're just spacing out the cra- the fact that you have crappy or lack of content. No, I don't think that was the reason. I think the original reason what people have told me, at least in my Facebook post, which by the way, my. My 2019 Lion King got like one response, a couple likes. This got like 75. Yeah, responses. this got like like 70 or 80 responses, and people it, really getting angry and arguing a, with each other. A fantastic gif by yours truly. By the yeah, way. people literally getting angry and cursing oh, each other. It was amazing. Yeah, it was j- awesome. Yeah, people getting really angry, and my brother and I and you just kind of laughing about all of it. Oh yeah. Um, I know words. I have the best words. <laughs> I think what people have said to me is that it's because of typewriters, although. When I was taught it, typewriters were certainly not in vogue, but originally typewriters, you needed that double space because the way the fonts were set up, it looked, I guess, too close together otherwise. 
with the period and the next word? Wrong. Well, I, well, then what was the reason then? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Fun. By well, the way, funny funny story. Have you seen Tom Hanks' uh, most recent Instagram post? No. He's talking about a typewriter. Oh, and really? guess what brand it is? Corona. <laughs> not even kidding. So. And go, you also want some fun? Go look at how he gets roasted in the comments. It is really? unbelievable. Hmm. Him and actually Bill Gates just posted one too about thanking healthcare workers, and he is getting just annihilated on social media. Yeah, that's a whole other topic, that Bill is. Gates, but we, which we won't go into. But, Wrong. No but yes, got a lot of comments on. I'm still a two-spacer, although it's mm-hmm. funny because I two-space on all my things on Facebook. Facebook takes out the second space automatically. So whenever you post anything on Facebook, if you double space after Mark Zuckerberg, a period, that's bullshit. If, if you if you double space after a period or after a colon, which I do as a habit, mm-hmm. automatically takes it out. Oh, and Howard and others think that it adds it in in, in Word, which I'm not sure of. Yeah, it, it I don't might know about be. All that. It might be if you have like I always as a habit always turn off autocorrect of any type anywhere. I hate autocorrect. Okay. Um, because so, I don't want. So you never type. You're so ducking mad. No, for that reason, I want to type what I want to type, and I don't want deadlift to become deadliest. So I, I got so tired of that stuff on Word that's, and yeah, on my that's phone, fair. that's automatically off. And maybe it's because I type deadlift it's, or powerlifting being separated into two words. Oh, yeah, that that's infuriating. So, anyways, Bane, yeah. uh, that's enough on that uh, <laughs> that topic. You can check out my Facebook post if you want to see people argue on something I, I think, as minuscule as I think one we, versus we two We might spaces. want to have that scrolling through like, on this part of the video if you have time to do that. I don't know that I know how to do that. Okay. I could try. We'll see Maybe if we find I'll, you an intern to do that. Yeah. If anybody's looking for an internship right now, it's it's very much unpaid. Yeah. Um, there's probably no prospect of a job at the end of it, but you never know. Maybe yeah. if this podcast takes off, maybe who knows? You know, I'll, I'll start actually feeding that five bucks a week into the, uh, right, the promotion right. and we'll see what happens. But Bane, what is great? Man, I got two good things to talk about here. Generally speaking, my children have been amazing during this lockdown. They've been keeping a schedule as best they can. It's tough. I get it. Um, stay in touch with their teachers. Stay on top of their schoolwork. We have to get on them a little bit. But, I mean, it's... How old is your youngest? Ella is 10. Okay. So, she's fourth grade. So, we have we have 10, 11, 14, and 16. That is a 10th grader, a 8th grader, a 6th grader, and a 4th grader. And so, you have enough devices for all those kids to be doing oh, yeah. their stuff? We have, so, so, they actually brought their devices home. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Austin has a Chromebook. Uh, the middles both have MacBook. Uh airs and ella has an ipad and so they they have all their devices and so they're able to utilize those and we i mean we've had to go through all kinds of stuff with iep meetings with an individual education plan for those who don't know uh for educational jargon yeah so for the older two we've had to go through uh onboarding stuff we have my oldest daughter is going into high school next year so we have that whole process that we're going through right uh you know so it's it's a challenge but the kids have just been they've been awesome and really, they, they understand kind of the unique situation we're in. I don't hear as much of the fighting and the arguing and it's the, the bickering that kids do, right? Like you have, you know, two young children. I'm sure Jacob and Alice are angels at all times. Never fight, ever. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, I've seen it. So, yeah, it's just, they've been really, really good. And so I, I wanted to give the kids a shout out. Also, uh, having friends that, that push me, uh, two in particular on the professional side, uh, Bern Arsuga and uh, Trey Giggs. Griggs, sorry. They, they push me uh, like nobody's business, and I am forever appreciative of them. They've contributed to a lot of my success as a, uh, a professional. And then, you know, uh, Joey Johnson and John Campion, you know, they uh, may or may not have come to my home to train, can't confirm or deny, at 316 Barbell. And, uh, you know, it's it's been good to have people that are not letting me settle, uh, especially right now because this is an easy, easy time. 
to to rest on everything. And so it's just been really awesome to have people that uh, are not allowing me to do that. And vice versa, I don't allow them to do the same thing. So Sure. Uh, Stone, what's great with you? Well, just to, to go off what you said there, I appreciate your kind of keeping me at least doing something of value yeah. during this time. Um, and gosh, because I'm not always sure when I say, "Hey, you want to interview somebody else?" You're like, "God damn it, we got to do this again." <laughs> no, I do. I do like. I do like doing something. You know, work productive. Sure. Um, and then my partner Howard Pendros, my wife and I both comment on this. He's been so positive throughout all this. Mm-hmm. Um, in a time that we, any, all of us, can be very negative. I'd say, um, just given the gravity of the situation and given, so much COVID given that we moved into this giant 22,000 square foot space, you know, 90 days ago and with, not, with no stress at that point either. Right. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, Hey, by the way, you got to shut down completely. Yeah. So appreciate as well, you know, my, uh, at least professional partners. And then, you know, my, what is great last week was my wife who is a rock star and is not only, doing her work, but is doing, you know, education with the kids and I, I think, you know, doing the, her regular duties around the house. Yeah. The, the term that Anthony Oliveira used, it's a bad bitch. And that's the most positive, you know, way you could say it is she, she is, she's awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but for me, uh, what is great would be the, and you talked about it last week, the innovation of cheap Mm-hmm. Slash free technology. God, who didn't put money into Zoom before this? I am so mad. I mean, and <laughs> we've we talked about this last week, but man, our what a time we're in right now. If yeah. there's a, could there have been a better time? And there's no good time to be in a quarantine and no, a pandemic. No. But you know, you think about this same pandemic even five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Oh God, yeah. um, you know, I, the technology right now exists to where you know you can have actual live conversations face-to-face, you know, or meetings with people um, with basically free technology. Um, We we did a pretty cool thing, I think. We had a family, a Stone Nickerson family, Mm -hmm. Easter hymn singing on Easter. That's cool. Um, And it was funny because the way Zoom works, it's not really meant for simultaneous talking. It's meant for one person to talk at a time. Right. And so if we all had had Zoom on at the same time and we'd all been singing at the same time, there's a delay based on my aunt playing the piano. So mm-hmm. uh, beforehand, my my wife kind of set it up um, and she had said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to mute everybody except for Aunt Margaret, who plays the piano. OK. And one of the other family members just kept unmuting themselves. And so we could hear her and she was on a delay. And then she also was singing the hymns from memory as opposed to like. And and there's various versions of hymns. Sure. So we had a very specific hymnal we were using. And so she's singing like the wrong versions and it's getting us confused. Wrong. You can see my sister who knows exactly what's going on. My wife keeps trying to mute her. And then she unmutes herself. My sister's laughing because she knows exactly what's <laughs> going on. Uh, but it, all in all, it was a great thing that, hey, you know, family from, you know, even in the Chicago area that couldn't get together. Mm-hmm. My sister in Michigan. Yeah. My cousin uh, out east in... I can't remember if she lives in Massachusetts or New Hampshire now, but out east. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have all these family members from different parts of the country that will be able to get together for free yeah. and celebrate Easter in a time that's, you know, usually a family day. Right. Um, so the innovation of, of free slash cheap technology, you know, apps for kids with schools yeah. like Google Classroom and some of the other apps my son is using, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is – it is mitigating the 
losses that we would normally have had oh, 5, yeah. 10, 20 years can, ago. Can you imagine from an educational standpoint what would be lost on the school year with kids right now? It would have been totally lost as opposed to it's, just mostly lost yeah, as it is right now. Crazy. I think actually, you know, my son is doing the best he can. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the teacher says, uh, you know, they're mostly doing review stuff. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some new stuff they're trying to put in there. And, you know, sometimes he gets frustrated and I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly the way that they teach things anymore. The wrong way. <laughs> yeah. It, hashtag common core. Oh, my God. So, you know, I'm trying to teach the way that I know Uncommonly versus the way, stupid. That, the way that they're teaching. But overall, great, uh, great the fact that technology is allowing us to get some of this done at least. Yes. Amen. That so, is great. Yeah, I agree. So on to the uh, – and how am I supposed to say it? Plusa. It, Plusa. It's spelled right there. Okay. Plusa. Not Pulsa? No. Plusa? Okay. It's not Pulsa. It's Plusa. Okay. Okay. All right. Settle down. The it's strength and anger. God damn it. Yeah. All right. Fuck. The Plusa archive, we've got the February 2012 issue. So again, this is one near the end of the run of mm-hmm. Powerlifting USA. Um, on the cover, you could see we've got a bunch of different lifters mm-hmm. from Wabdol, the World Association of Bench Pressers and Deadlifters. That's a mouthful. So basically, they can't squat. W-A-B-D-L, mm-hmm. Worlds, from 2012. And it is, the at that time, the 15th annual, they said. Wow. And so it apparently started around 1997, Wobble. Um, it was formed by Gus Rethwich, who was originally USPF meet director. For a time, he was with the APF, we're told. Um, the way Ernie Franz tells it. Uh, there's a lot of people that couldn't get squats passed and then went and formed their organization. Gus being one, mm. Gus being one of them, um, who then basically got rid of the squat and formed Wobble. Um, you know, he talks about another uh, individual who went and formed another organization. Um, so interesting that uh, you know a lot of people started with the USPF and APF again. You mm-hmm. know, it all kind of started together and then branched out, but. Wobble is a unique organization because it's really not a powerlifting organization. It's powerlifting related, but it's always been single lift, bench press, and deadlift. There was a time when, and I can tell you as a meet director, when single lift, bench, and deadlift was as big, if not bigger, than full powerlifting. Interesting. this, This was especially true when geared powerlifting was big. At an average meet, especially when I first started running meets, you'd get more bench-only lifters than full power lifters. Well, I mean, the question always is, how much do you bench? Sure. And benching was big when I start when I started running meets in 05, 06, you'd get at an average meet, you know, 30, 40 power lifters and maybe 25, 30, uh, I'm sorry, 30, 45 benchers mm-hmm. and 25 to 30 power lifters. Sure. That was true of the first few meets I ran. And I think it was raw power lifting that shifted that towards, you know, more powerlifters. My brother Ken said, like, you know, raw powerlifting is the new bench only hmm. uh, from when we started. Well, this, I mean, it kind of makes sense because you think about this, the chest pros, you know, all they want to do is just go and bench and, and work the upper body. So cool. These guys are always doing the squat bench deadlift four times a week. Yeah, it is basically the new the new bench only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wobble's an interesting organization. Um, they did run a national, but really everything, their entire business model revolved around their world's. And there was some other countries, not, a, there not a bunch. The non-video bunch. You basically qualified for Worlds with Wobble by placing top three in any Wobble meet, any meet throughout the country. Local, nationals, doesn't matter. Hmm. And have, have my opinions on that. But Wobble is was known, one of those organizations, and this is 
now APF as well. So I can't complain too much, but they were known for having just tons of divisions, mm. you know, tons, you know, uh, they added another weight class. They had a 250, which actually would fit you pretty well. They had a 259 weight class. Un- I, I ain't losing 10 pounds. Fuck that. Well, under normal circumstances, don't you weigh in the 260s? Yeah, it, which is true. Yeah. So, yeah, they had a 259. 269 is still technically 260. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> they had a 259 weight class. I mean, you look through the results of Worlds. They had tons, and they still run Wobble Worlds to this day. Sure. And it's still a very popular meet. Almost always run in Reno, run based in the same place every day. Gus Rethwich would talk about how, you know, the reason he switched to bench deadlift is because he could just throw a, a force of bench, a set of kilo plates, and a couple of bars in the back of his truck, and he had to set up for a meet. Fucking force of bench. And he could just, you know, go to a gym, mm-hmm. set up a platform with a Forza bench, a deadlift bar, kilo plates, and a regular power bar, and you got a meet ready to run. And, you know, we talked last week about the monolift yeah. and how it's so hard to move. And so Such I get it. Such a pain in the ass. I get it. I, I used to run a few more single lift bench deadlift meets. Mm-hmm. We still do one per year, at least right now. Um, and it's not nearly as popular as what, it used to what be. What are powerlifting meets? I don't know what those are anymore. <laughs> Too soon? S- sad face. Yeah. Uh, we had a pretty interesting – there's always a lot of West Side content in powerlifting USAs. Uh, as you can a, see, I'm wearing my Midwest Side shirt today. Midwest Side? Y'all can see that here on the video. So we had a West Side for Beginners, and I actually thought this was one of the more interesting articles I'd seen. I don't know if you downloaded the PDF uh no I, I looked it up maybe i'll send it to you i downloaded the pdf i didn't really dive super deep into it mm-hmm. but this guy sean kelly had done i would think a pretty you know and it's still available this was from 2012 and eight yeah. years later at least his website and pdf is still there um he was a i think a, a west side certified trainer okay and you know he had kind of a west side for beginners um the things that he talked about in the article which i thought were interesting and made sense uh, where there was no box squats on max effort days. Huh. Um, there is very little partials, so more focus on full range of motion for max effort work. Wrong. There was no circumax, which I'm still not 100% sure what the hell circumax is. is it, I thought I've, it was like basically 105% or whatever, but you have like reverse bands or some shit. Is, is that no, – No, I don't think it's reverse bands. I think it's heavy, heavy band tension. And, you know, oh, uh, okay. in our interview that hasn't gone up yet, but we yeah, did yeah, with yeah, – yeah. uh, Anthony Oliveria, he talked about how it was like a super max day, but I've read other things where it's like a, like a somewhere between a three to six week cycle sometimes, and then your speed day, mm-hmm. you do super super band tension, and you do the circumax, and your max effort days become you know de-emphasized. So I don't know, hmm. I, I I can't, I don't know if it's in the Westside Book of Methods. I'll, I'll have to go back and look. I yeah, it, it's something that's not a hundred percent clear to me, but he says no circumax. Uh, and so there's some interesting stuff. Um, maybe we'll even post the PDF for it, but because yeah. it's still there, and I started to read it, was pretty interesting. Um, and our, again, our interview that will go up um, before this this episode goes yeah, up for sure. Um, Anthony Oliveria talks about how you know he has customized conjugates. I don't think he calls yeah. it West Side because no. I, mean, I think most people would agree it's not West Side unless it's at West Side. It's Correct. conjugate. It's West Side. Mm-hmm. You know. It's Westside like training, mm-hmm. correct? Um, but you know, he talks about how he does, and I don't know that he did a good enough job of articulating what he was trying to say. I think what he was trying to say was that he customizes conjugate for the individual. Yeah, he he looks at the at the individuals, and it's not a it's a one size fits one 
not a one size fits all. Right. Whereas Louis would say, no, I'll never do max effort work. No. You know, less than one rep or mm-hmm. more than one rep. He would say, hey, maybe occasionally I would. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what he was getting at. Because his focus is on the strain and on putting different emphasis on, you know, on the body and on, and on the intensity. Sure. So interesting article. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy, LB Baker, 75th birthday was celebrated in this uh, issue, which would make him 82 now. Wow. Um, I don't really want to say happy birthday to LB Baker, but I just thought it was interesting that a guy we've talked about so much <laughs> in our, our Plusa throwback. Yeah. Hey, you got um, it right. Nice job. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can't pronounce things correctly. Um, speaking of which, we did have an article from Louis Simmons himself. And there were some helpful charts. And nice. he talked about, you know, kind of like two to three week waves for your speed days, mm-hmm. which makes sense. For which it is? Speed days. <laughs> on speed days, we do it fast. <laughs> and on my other days, it's not as fast, but it's heavy. Right. So I thought that there were some charts. I don't know if you had a chance to look at those charts. Very briefly, yeah. Yeah. I thought I was, was more focused on reading the book versus reading this this time. Oh, okay. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, but he had some charts in there, which I thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, another interesting Louie article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a segment we haven't talked about too much that's in some of these newer issues is the Power Forum. I, yeah. I, I think at this point... <laughs> I think at this point, Powerlifting USA was just looking for content. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked last week about advertorials right. that were in, you know, Powerlifting USA. Bullshit. And, uh, there's been a number of issues in these, like, 2010 issues that have had the power form where basically mm-hmm. you've got a bunch of people kind of, like, weighing in on a hot-button topic. Um, our guy, John Smoker, yeah. commented on this one, and it basically was, you know, what would you change – in, and, uh, in and powerlifting, <laughs> all you could think of was rip. That's all I could think of was, how do you fix powerlifting? Why don't we just talk to the expert, Mark fucking Ripito? Yeah, and somebody commented on your IG story and asked if we should interview uh, Mark Ripito. I'd like to know who that was. Uh, yeah, so I, I actually would too. So if you could actually like identify yourself because your Instagram handle and profile don't tell me. Uh, yeah, if, if Rip's got the stones, I'll talk to him. Yeah, I don't know if that would be a totally productive conversation. Yeah, it could be. It'd be fun. I don't know. Well, I mean, and why would he come <laughs> on this podcast? I guess the other question for a sport he really doesn't care about. Well, and, he he could fix our podcast too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know if that would be. I don't know how well that would go. But John Smoker's comment in this power form was Eric that doesn't want to instigate, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> Smoker would talk about how he wishes the sport would go totally raw, um, and actually mentions me and oh. the December raw meets. So interesting. I disagree with you, Smoker. Yeah. But, um, and Smoker is somebody who is lifted, equipped, and geared. Mm-hmm. Now just lifts raw. I mean, he's in his 70s, so I guess it makes sense yeah. not to go in gear to some degree. He gave me an old um, deadlift suit for a marathon, which is kind of like this mythical suit that no yeah. one's, that, you know, lifters from the 80s would say no other suit. It's like the holy grail of right. suits, basically. Right, that no one else has really touched. Hmm. I, if, uh, he gave it to me saying, hey, if you ever get back down to 165, yeah. you could fit in it. Uh, that's not coming anytime soon, let me tell you. Um, I, you know, you had, in your, again, in your Instagram story, why do I look so much girthier than Eric? <laughs> it's very true. It's just, it's the angle and everything, but, like, I do in that picture. Yeah. I'll scooch back a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I'm girthier than I was maybe before this quarantine started, but still not as girthy as Bane, I suppose. You, uh, you weighed yourself But I bit? could not fit in. No, I've not. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but uh, I, I figured when you squat in 700 was going to come right after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you squat 700 like I did when I was at 181. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think I could fit into that. 
uh, that marathon deadlift. No, not anytime soon. But an interesting, you know, segment. Again, I think Parlor from USA at a certain point was looking for content to sure. fill their pages with non-advertisements, advertorials. They were, they were trying to Our get old Enzer. Trying to survive. And here's another one. Yep. The Enzer Power Shoe, which I can tell you was not available in 2012. No. Ironically. No. Um, we did have uh, the top 50 mm-hmm. men's 120. I don't know why so many of these issues have lightweights. You would, like I, I don't get this, man. Like, I think what it was was that they started this top fifty thing with Glenn, Herb Glossbrenner late in the life of Powerlifting USA, and maybe they just never got to the heavier weight classes because it went maybe. out of business. Maybe, or 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 was it possibly that they started with the heavier guys because they were those were kind of the most popular guys at that point, and then it's like oh we should probably get the light guys in here too at some point. I'm not sure. I mean, we haven't gone through. We, I don't know that we have every issue of Powerlifting USA. We're just yeah. kind of going at random. But um, a guy that is well-known is the number one 123-pound deadlift. And I would guess this may not stand as the record, but it's got to be well up there. It's Lamar Gant. Oh, fucking with legend. With a 639 deadlift. There say, is a, say that again for those in the back. 639. At 123 pounds. The next one is interesting because it's Chris Smith, a Texas high school powerlifting association lifter with a 600 deadlift. So a high school kid is the number two. That's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, and Lamar Gant is all the way back in 1982. And the next closest deadlift outside of the 600 high school kid mm-hmm. is a 578. Wow. From, oh, I guess we do have his name. It's, it's Demero Doc Holloway, who is a guy we've talked about a couple different times mm-hmm. who's been on top lists. Uh, but yeah, Lamar Gant, a, a really well-known lifter. Yeah, um, unbelievable deadlift. So we've got the women's one twenty-three, mm-hmm. and at the top is Carrie Bordeaux from uh, and I'll meet in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a four ninety deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana Rowell, number two, four sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. Another person we've talked about, Margaret Kirkland, who's been in. So many weight classes. Dude, she, she 451. She may have just as many mentions on our episodes as any other person. Just because she's on so many of these lists. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, she did a lot of different weight classes. But yeah. Basically, all of the lightweight classes. But and also strong as shit. Yes, no doubt. Amy Weisberger, number yeah. four. Yeah. And uh, someone you know close to who we're going to talk about today, number seven, mm-hmm. with a 435 deadlift, is Diane Franz. Hey. Ernie Franz's wife. Yes. And we've also got the women's bench. Mm-hmm. At the top is Janet Ferrone with a 357 bench. Tina Reinhart, on, you know, both of these are pretty well-known names, um, 348. Amy Weisberger on this list. Yes. With number four with 292. So some, some pretty interesting lifts there mm-hmm. with the lightweights. Um, I'm going to scroll to the back here, and we've got the top 100. Mm-hmm. We've got the 148 lifters from October 2010 to October 2011. Again with the skinnies. <laughs> Number one is Mark Tejero, the guy yeah. we've talked about. Um, Kay Unton with a 529 bench. Wow. Eric Talmut with a 610 deadlift. And again, Mark Tejero with a 642 total. And a guy who did the WPO in October. Superfinals, yep. Superfinals and uh, was still, you know, was doing some big lifts all the way back in 2012. Yeah, he's and he's we've mentioned him in another episode mm-hmm. um, in a previous and I think an, an earlier issue. So he he's been on top of those lightweight classes for a long time. Yeah, I was really hoping he was going to be back for the semifinals. So hope uh, you know whatever it is that prevented him from being there will uh, not be in the way next year. Yeah, he certainly would have been in the top 30. You would imagine, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 
So in our last, and we've got uh, Henry Thomason, who hey. we, we haven't discussed this, but I think he'd be a pretty interesting guy to have on uh, for an interview. May or may not be working on it. Oh, okay. Now, he's a guy who's, he's really kind of, he's done it all in powerlifting, really. He's yeah. been a super heavyweight. He's lifted raw. He's listed single ply. He's listed multi, he's listed multiply. Yeah. In this issue, he uh, did a single ply squat of 1058. I believe he's super heavyweight, but nonetheless. Still, that's a huge squat. That's a huge squat, period, but then single ply as well. Right. Um, and he did a lot of lifting in NASA, which is an organization we talked a yeah. decent amount last week. Yep. But he's kind of started off in NASA, again, because it was one of those organizations which served underserved areas. And so I think that's yep. why he started there. Right. But he's lifted APF. Um, he's lifted NASA. I think he's lifted a number of different organizations. Right. And he's, uh, there is a story when he attempted a 1,300-pound squat, which, think- was, which was called high. Yeah. And I think it was the story was after that squat, he had some kind of health scare that caused him to lose a bunch of weight, which is why now at the WPO, he's competing more like 242 as opposed to super heavyweight. Because when I saw him. Yeah, I got to go back and look. Because I remember hearing something about that. that actually, I think Hoff actually even said, like, he, he could make a run of 1300 before Hoff even did. He, I mean, he he did it. Yeah. He just did. I mean, and more like a, a sustainable run at it. Sure, I know. I mean, I I remember him, Henry Thomason, on Facebook posting a picture of it, mm-hmm. and commenters below kind of saying, "Yeah, I remember you just cut it a couple inches short." And I think it was within that that post where yeah. Thomason talked about, "Yeah, it was after that that my health had a scare, and I, you know, I had to take some weight off." Interesting. Because um, when I saw him at the super finals, I was like, "That looks like a different person." Um, or actually, it was at the Can-Am, I mean, before the Super Finals. Yeah, it was and like because he was handling some people. Yeah, he had his, uh, I think his significant other lifted the Can-Am, mm-hmm. and then she lifted at the semifinals. Right. And I remember seeing, wow, he's much smaller than I remember him. Right. So, Very interesting. So from there, Bane, let's uh, let's move on yeah, to our- Yeah, let's get into some fun stuff. Our, now this isn't fun, but- Sure. Let's move on to the Ten Commandments of Powerlifting. Yes. Um, so we've got a couple different versions we're going to reference. Here is the original right there, yep. uh, which was published all the way back in 1984. And here is the most recent one, which is still available. Yep. Um, uh, there's an ebook and a version, I think, on Amazon mm-hmm. republished in 2013, you know, almost 30 years later. Yeah. I should have the ebook. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my start with this was when I was an early power lifter in, you know, the, the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking to get a copy from Ernie Franz at Franz Gym, and, and I couldn't get it. They just didn't have it anymore. Yeah, he didn't, it was out of print. He didn't have any more copies. He said, I'd like to get it, but I, I remember at that time he talked about how he wanted to get more of them printed because mm-hmm. people would often ask. And he talked about how he's tried to get it reprinted and will kind of bring us into our next week's or in a future episode's uh, topic, which was the republishing right. of this book with my partner, Howard Pendros. Because Howard does a forward in that, doesn't he? Or uh, or something like that? He does. Yeah. He is the publisher of the second edition mm-hmm. of the Ten Commandments of Powerlifting um, through his publishing company, Success by Design. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole story behind Ernie trying to get this republished. Because, I mean, it, I remember at one point this was for sale on eBay for like $100. That were there, folks. 100 bucks. Right, and it's not a, it's not a really long book, but it was no, it's not. It's a very simple read. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it was because of that my partner Howard decided, hey, we should republish this again. I don't want to 
spoil yeah. the content for future weeks, but uh, it was not available when I got in the sport. Um, let's go through quickly the Ernie Franz biography, or at least as much as in, as included in his book. He's got about, eh, you know, a short chapter on yeah, it's his... Not, not on a ton, but it's kind of a basic, like, hey, here's, here's me, here's an intro. Ernie Franz was born in Chicago, May 19th. Uh, 1934. So we're coming up on his birthday yeah, in are. about another month. Yep. Uh, I think he'll be 86 this year, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think. So, I think so. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Some 19, number. I don't, know, I don't know math. 1934, 2020. I think that's 86. I don't know. Whatever. Professionally, he was drafted and served in the Korean War. Um. So he's the veteran. Mm-hmm. Um. After which he spent uh around five-ish years in law enforcement. Um. Around that time, though, he he did his first, quote, powerlifting meet in 1953. And at that point, there wasn't really powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, as we've kind of talked about and touched on, it was kind of like the odd lifts. Yes. Um, included in bodybuilding contests sometimes mm-hmm. in Olympic lifting meets, which he said he did a little bit of as well. Mm-hmm. He did a 135 bench at 132-pound body weight. He benched over his body weight, so it's solid. So he opened, and he kind of switched from law enforcement to gym ownership in 1962. Seems to be a fairly common theme for that lot. Um, there are a lot of people. There's a lot. Of, I think there's a large intersection between law enforcement and powerlifting. It would make a lot of sense. Just fitness in general with law enforcement, you should be. Yeah. It would probably be advised to be fairly fit if you're in law enforcement. At that time, though, he was mostly focused on bodybuilding, and he mm-hmm. competed in body. He competed in bodybuilding. His gym was focused on bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. He opened. The Franz Health Spa eventually would come the Franz Health Studio and eventually would come Franz Gym. Right. Um, that was in 1962. In oh. 1967, he took second in the Mr. USA contest. Mm-hmm. He talks about somewhere in that mid-60s, he started getting involved in powerlifting and right. doing powerlifting meets. Right. Professionally, he then shifted, and it sounds like what I inferred, he didn't say it exactly, but I inferred that he continued running the gym. But also in 1971, he started working in the youth prison system Mm -hmm. um, and was running weightlifting programs for them, something he's pretty passionate about. And and I say this half-jokingly, nothing like giving people who have been breaking the law the ability to break it even more with a large amount of strength. (laughs) Right. Uh, In 1974, he went to the Illinois Department of Corrections, Mm -hmm. again, running uh, weightlifting programs. And one thing Ernie talks about a lot, and Mayor Sternberg talks about a lot back mm-hmm. in those 80s timeframes, that they used to run a lot of prison meets. They would, yeah. actually, they would actually go into the prisons and run meets. And, you know, some of the judges would talk about how it was like, well, you know, we didn't want to be too strict because it's like. Uh, you never know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, you know, you got some people, some pretty heavy duty, you know, charges on them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a giant weight in their hand and they're big, strong dudes. And, you know, you don't want to. Red light him on a technicality. Yeah. Uh, have we talked about Greg Beetle Low here on the show? I don't believe so, no. So he's a guy who lifted in the ADFPF slash mm-hmm. eventually USAPL and was a was convicted for murder. Um, Jesus. But he was allowed to leave the prison and compete in ADFPF slash USAPL yeah. nationals so, for so many years. So I don't think we mentioned my name, but we, we did talk about that. And I was reading about that somewhere too recently that – like they were like it was a, it was in West Side versus the World. They talked about some guy being released from prison to go compete. I think they did talk about. I think they touched on it because it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's and what's what's interesting too is I actually remember hearing about like rumors about strength and powerlifting meets in prisons when I lived in Virginia, 
And I, okay. I, I didn't know where it was at. It, it was, I just knew it wasn't on the East Coast. And so I, I have to assume it was probably somewhere around here that it made it out there. Uh, I know Ernie has some connections out on the East Coast too, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's funny to me how all these different things that eventually connected me to powerlifting I, th- I saw when I was living in D.C. Sure. So Ernie definitely ran meets in prisons, and that, that, that's related to his, uh, you know, his work in the prison system. Right, right. Ernie also has a soft spot in his heart. Um, for alcoholics and recovering alcoholics. Gotcha. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, a lot of the individuals that eventually worked at Franz Gym were ex-cons. He he was big on giving people a second chance. To a fault, I would say. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard. There was a guy who worked his gym named Bobby, who my brother Ken and I affectionately called Crackhead Bobby. <laughs> um, he was actually a super nice guy. I mean, kind of your typical addict that was you know uh, just you got any more of these weights just a great talker and like ken and i would go in there at that time and he would give us great cash deals on stuff which was probably unfortunately yeah. going right in his pocket um and right into a pipe yeah and there was always the rumor that you know he would be on the roof making ernie's uh nose so, torque nose oh, torque oh and, okay and he was up there you know making the nose torque and cooking meth was you know what we always joked i'm not saying he actually did that but, well, it's a kind of nose dork. Yes, um, but Ernie was Ernie was always has been big on giving ex cons alcoholics mm-hmm. second chances, um, maybe to a fault. I would say. Sure. Uh, in 1974, on the same day, this is kind of one of those famous Ernie Franz oh, yeah, stories. This is, this is Franz lore right here. He took first in the 1974 Powerlifting Worlds, which mm-hmm. at the time I think would have been still AAU, if I'm not mistaken. Going back to yeah, going point. back to our timeline, um, and he took second in that evening in the Mystery USA Physique Contest. Not even the same weekend, the same the same day. day, the same day. So you go, you lift all the things, you go, and then pose after lifting all the things because set some records in the powerlifting meet. Yeah, and I'll tell you, after a powerlifting meet, the first thing I want to do is go eat and then go drink. I am not going to go pose in my trunks. Yeah, I would say that at that time. You know the level of competition in both sports are probably not optimized, and that's not to discount what Ernie did. No, I, but people weren't you know so focused specifically on right. anything. It's just like when strongman contests started. You know, it was basically like, hey, let's take the best bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic lifters, and see who is the strongest. Right. So not as much specificity as that we have now. No doubt. Um, you know, uh, he's got an intro to the book. I would say, in general, this book is probably more designed for a beginner to powerlifting. I, I would agree. Not that I don't think that a veteran lifter can't get something out of it, but, I mean, you know, you don't need a description of the rules of the sport necessarily if you're a seasoned lifter, which he you which, which he includes in there. Um, but it is something that's it's written more for the beginner. Um he does have a description of each of the big three, and mm-hmm. I kind of picked out some things out of there which I thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has a description of technique on all three lifts. On the squat, the things I found most interesting were his kind of uh, assistance exercise, mm-hmm. and one of them was quarter or partial squats. So going mm-hmm. down, you know, half quarter of the way and coming back up, we would do those at Franz when I trained there. Well, they do them at Export, too, and at LA Fitness <laughs> and all the other commercial gyms. So it makes sense. Um, bottom squats, which is basically kind of like piston squats that I've talked about. Okay, so staying at the yeah. parallel or below and kind of yeah, you like go, a bob. You really only come up about halfway in his bottom squats. And okay. I remember he would have people do eights with these where you would go Oof. down, 
come up halfway back down and you do that eight times, stand all the way up and do that eight times. So 64, 64 total reps. He would do that with lifters who pissed him off and say, oh, you want to work hard with reps. I'll make you work hard with reps. I remember a specific guy that trained with us who was just, he was a loud. shall not be named. I don't remember his name. Oh, nice. um, But he was just a loud mouth and would talk about other places he trained and how great it was. And then he said, oh, you want to do reps, huh? Well, here, let me have you do some bottoms. Uh, He talks about pause squats. So you turn him into a power bottom? <laughs> uh, he did talk about pause squats. Mm-hmm. Usually on a rep set, he would pause on the last rep, oh. and then he talks about down sets, which are not the down sets that like bodybuilders do, where you lower the weight and do reps. Right. He's really talking more about an eccentric only squat, where you would okay. take it down and then have the spotters grab you, which I had done at France. Okay. okay. Basically, to handle heavier weight without killing yourself. Gotcha. Interesting. In his bench, um, and, and, and it's worth saying that so with it's essentially a squat negative is essentially what it is. Correct, yeah, correct. Yeah. It's worth saying that he recommends through all the exercises staying tight, and that'll be one of his commandments as well. But mm-hmm. he talks about that in the bench in the description. Um, the exercises that he talks about as being you know kind of his major assistance exercise for mm-hmm. bench are weighted dips, which I personally cannot really do. Okay, I, I like dips. We used to do them at Marosher, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they really bother my shoulders and elbows, at least the dip machine we have here. If I sure. can find one that was narrower and angled, mm-hmm. those seem to be a little bit easier on my shoulders. Um, he talks again about negative benches, where you take the bar down to your chest slowly and then grab it. And then shorts, which are simpler to those, similar to those bottom squats, where you're you know, coming up not sure. to full extension for, you know, more rep work. You know, I found that interesting, you know, talking about, because he, he talks about negatives on for almost everything. And I know a, a true Franz disciple is Eric Marosher. Uh, Eric, for a lot of reasons, loves Ernie, and, and with good reason. Like they, they got a great relationship, and uh, Ernie taught Eric a lot about lifting, about life. Marosher hates negatives, hates them. He, he just, in his experience, he's seen people get injured doing them because they just go a little bit too aggressive with them. And he's like, there's just, there's no point. Yeah, and that was kind of my philosophy for a long time. Um, I have used negatives more so in recent years. Not with heavy weights like Franz as much, mm. but more like emphasizing the negative of the lift. Sure. Um, you know, tempo work, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Franz was definitely big with negatives. And I would say yes, uh, yeah. they do have a high risk of injury, no doubt. One of our former teammates here and doing a heavy negative deadlift, which we'll talk about next, mm-hmm. blood is bicep. Oof. Oof. Um, That's no fun. So onto the deadlift, mm-hmm. one of the more interesting things, he talks about the Franz rocker, which mm-hmm. he doesn't describe as well as I would have liked. Uh, but it's basically, I would describe it as the pivoting of the hips at the start of a deadlift, not just reaching down and grabbing the bar. but And this is something I teach for conventional deadlifts. I don't think it works as well for sumo, but mm-hmm. grabbing, the, anyway, so. <laughs> grabbing the bar and then using the leverage of the bar to pivot your hips back mm-hmm. prior to initiating the start of the deadlift. And that's, right. if you watch Ernie's deadlifts from back in the day, you'll see him often pivot back and forth a number of times before initiating his deadlift. Yeah, a lot of folks ask me about that. They see either Ernie do it or they see other lifters who do it. And they assume it's like, oh, we're just building, you know, building the momentum to, to then just you know, help you get off the ground. I'm like, that's not necessarily what it's for. That may you know, be a little bit, but... No, it's just a, it's allowing the bar and the the weight to help you leverage and get into the right place to then explode out of the hole for the deadlift. Precisely. Yeah. Science. Um. Yeah. He does talk about how 
He's a believer in strict resets on deadlifts when you do reps, not doing them as you touch, know, and go. touch and go type of reps because yep. of the, the nature of the deadlift, which is something generally I agree with. Mm-hmm. There have been times when I've prescribed touch and go reps, but more for hypertrophy. Yeah. Um, in general, I think deadlift should be done from a dead stop. Um, special exercise in the deadlift negatives. Which, uh, basically you have, you have two guys in the side pick up the deadlift for you or help you. Mm-hmm. And then you, or, or you do it from a rack. And Ernie used to have special, uh, extenders for the monolith. Mm. And you would pick it up, you know, a small amount of range of motion from the monolith, swing the extra long monolith arms out, mm-hmm. and then lower it down slowly. Interesting. Was this part of the, uh, the Terminator monolith? Yes. Oh definitely. God. Cause it was ultimately adjustable. Oh, my word. Um, he talks about negative pauses, which I thought was interesting because pause deadlifts have become kind of in vogue in the last yeah two three four years. But but only on the on the way up. He on the on the way down. I've seen them more on the way up. Oh right, yeah. yes, I have seen them on the way up. Ernie recommends them on the way down. Gotcha. Was interesting. The the ones I I see more consistently yeah. nowadays are all, are on the way right. up. Right, pausing it an inch or so off the ground. Ernie recommends it on the way down, pausing to kind of reinforce that tight positioning. Interesting. Um, he talks about top half deadlifts. Mm-hmm. So basically, bringing it down to the knees and then back off again, similar to the, you know, to the the demo deadlift, the bottom up deadlifts mm-hmm. or the bottom up. Uh, Squats they talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my, when my wife was, you know, wanting to improve her deadlifts. Ernie's recommendation was for her to deadlift every day. Ooh, no, and not no, heavy, but Still. you know, Oof. go and do a deadlift at least one thirty-five every day to reinforce technique. Yeah, and he would talk. He does talk about that in the book about deadlifting often, and says, you know, some people don't think he can deadlift heavy twice a week, but I, you know, I deadlift heavy twice every week. Which I don't think I I don't even deadlift heavy always once a week. Yeah, we I I think I deadlift heavy. Well, I guess I should have said that. Probably twice a month. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, let's go through the kind of meat of the book, which and there's actually is more than just the Ten Commandments, but mm-hmm. that's you know the title of the book. So let's go through those Ten Commandments. Yeah. Number one is equipment, right. wraps, suits, etc. Should be a benefit, so learn to use it wisely. Um, one of the key points I found with this was to wear the fucking equipment tight. Tight. Is wear that Toy- shit tight. Like a twigger. It is interesting that this is the number one commander for Ernie because he was always a big advocate of equipped lifting and of, of equipment. He mm-hmm. sold equipment. Mm-hmm. The APF was the pioneer of multiply lifting. Yeah. So it is, you know, I guess makes sense that equipment, you know, being used is one of his, you know. One of his keys. One and of his keys, yeah. Literally the number one commandment. Yeah. Uh, number two, make sure to warm up properly and listen to your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I thought was a key point here, and that's something I got hammered into me at Franz, was to always warm up with lightweight, and especially with the bench and deadlift, always start with an empty bar. Interesting. So I was like deadlift. I've never been taught to warm up with an empty bar. No, no, I'm sorry. Squat and bench. Yes, with an empty bar. Yes, squat and bench. Always warm with an empty bar. Yeah, not not with deadlift. I'm sorry. No, that one because I, I almost always would do that either either after speed squat after squatting essentially some type of squatting. And so Ernie talks about that as well. You yeah. don't need to start as light with deadlift because typically he was deadlift after squatting. Right. But he would, and and this was something that was drilled into us at Franz was you always start with an empty bar. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Your 800 pound bencher, a thousand pound squatter mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Everybody always started with a couple sets actually of the empty bar. Yeah. Usually, you know, five to ten reps, and usually a couple of them are paused or you know a little bob at the bottom. 
Yeah, and I've and the people that I've trained through the years, you know, they've kind of questioned like, why do I have to start with an empty bar? And I said, you know, I've trained with eight hundred pound benchers; they still start benching with an empty bar. So you don't just go with because I fucking said so. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> sometimes I try to explain it. Um, you know, but it, the so, typical so, sometimes Joey, we just gotta tell you the typical gym bro wants to just throw one thirty five on there and start. Now, granted, their max is only like one eighty five. Yeah. So it's interesting, but yeah, I've trained with very heavy benchers and squatters. All of them started with an empty bar. I should most of them. Yeah. I would say, yeah, the vast between. Dude, Steve Rock starts with an empty bar. Yeah. And he's squatted or at least moved 1,100. Yeah, exactly. Number three, act like your light lifts are heavy so your heavy lifts feel light. And this is probably my favorite commandment of all of them. And it's, and it's funny because when you hear that, it almost sounds counterintuitive, right? But if you're treating, quote, unquote, lightweight, any one of these weights can potentially do serious harm to you. You, you, you know, fuck around with a bar and you throw it and it can, you know, roll off and, dan- and hurt somebody. Or you can be going down in the squat with a bar and you can blow your knee apart. It can happen. Yeah. I think one of the only times we've had a, somebody fall at Team Stone was one of our lifters that fell back with a plate yeah. when he only had one spotter. Because they were like, oh, I'm going to go so fast. I'm going to go so like, mm-hmm. So tre- respect the weight because the weight, the weight does not respect you. Well, and one of the keys, there's two keys, I think, to that, mm-hmm. which Ernie doesn't really go into, but I think, you know, reading into what he's saying, one is to, to have that same kind of tightness and same mm-hmm. kind of drive yes. with those lighter weights so that you can reinforce that tightness, and A, and B, you can have that same intensity and concentration, which is something he also talks about mm-hmm. on the lighter weights. <clears throat> B, when you have that tightness and intensity – you'll have more speed with those lighter weights mm-hmm. and something he doesn't talk about because he probably didn't, I'm not going to say he didn't understand it, but he didn't, he wouldn't have explained it in this way. Fred Hatfield talks about compensatory acceleration. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you move the lighter weights faster, the heavier weights can also move faster because you're used to moving things fast, speed. Yeah. Building speed, doing things fast. So yeah, that's probably my favorite commandment of all of these 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, concentration separates the good from the best. <laughs> and uh, one of the key points I took out of his description of that was, A, uh, that he's big on visualization, is seeing what yeah. you're doing before. Yep. And uh, A, and then B, he's not real big on slapping prior to uh, getting up to the platform. Interesting. Because there were some people who, on the France team who did that, Ernie was never big on that. Um. If you've seen him lift, he was much more introspective. Sure. And if you've ever read uh, our both of our former coaches, or maybe still your coach to some degree, Eric Marosher's mm-hmm. article, Don't Shake the Weight, he would uh, yep. reiterate that same kind of concept of that, you know, it should be a little bit more introspective and take the energy you're spending on shaking the weight or having somebody slap you or whatever and put that towards the lift itself. Correct. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a big thing that you know not not everybody does it, but I know that's uh, one time I t- I tried doing that, I got all fired up and you know basically burned all that energy. And I remember Eric and uh, my old coach uh, Ronald Lagaretta both saying, "Dude, you just burned probably twenty thirty pounds off that lift because you're a fucking idiot and you you just you know went and shake, shook the weight for no reason. Like, why would you do that? Focus on executing versus just looking like a freaking moron." Yeah, excellent article on leadfts.com. If you're ever looking, want to look it up, it's called Don't Shake the Weight, I believe, by Eric Marosher. Another great one is Don't Drop the Deadlift, by the way. 
Yeah, similar. Yeah, and actually similar. goes into our next one, which is keep every body part tight oh, during the entire movement. It's like I knew what I was doing. And from my experience, um, the experienced lifters, mm-hmm. generally speaking, can stay tighter than novice lifters. And that, to me, is what separates an experienced lifter from a novice lifter is their ability to keep their body tight throughout the entire movement. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I think a great example of that that I know of, uh, you know, a uh, modern example is, is Bill Lee. Bill is phenomenal. He Because of some of the, the injuries he's experienced, he has blew to Blew out his knee really badly? Blew out, it blew out his knee. He also tore his tricep on that same lift. Ugh, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. Yeah, it, it was pretty catastrophic. Uh, oh, I know. I've seen the I, – well, I've kind of watched the video. I really yeah, have trouble I watching those kind of videos. I don't like seeing that. Uh, no. But yeah, so Bill, Bill, because of that, I think is probably more in tune than most with his body, and so you you see him, and he and people think it's weird. He'll put his belt on with two twenty five on the bar when he's squatting, but you can literally see it's like a spring winding up in his back, and you know when he when he's tightening up, and so he is just very very in tune with that, and every single rep, whether again whether it's you know two thirty five or eight hundred on the bar, he's just super super tight and super focused on that. Yeah, and that goes back to, you know, treating your light lifts like they're heavy. Um, yep. it, it's a similar concept. And again, I think... It's like these all flow together. It's weird. It's uh, it's one of those concepts where, you know, advanced lifters, you know, all of their lifts look the same. Mm-hmm. They all look very... The same technique, whether it's a lightweight or a heavyweight. Um, I remember one of our teammates here, Jen Gimmel, getting mm-hmm. on one of our... Eh, <laughs> Jan, getting on one of our older teammates at the time, who was kind of doing that half lockout... Mm. bench on all his warm-ups sure and saying you know how about if you locked out your warm-ups maybe when you got to your heavyweights you'd lock those out too. you wouldn't have a problem because this particular lifter would ha- was having a problem with the last inch or so of lockout and she said maybe if you fully locked out your reps in the warm-up that would help your your heavy lifts well that doesn't have anything to do with it okay say with me now kids wrong <laughs> yeah so uh i i do think that the ability to stay tight and the concentration of staying tight is something that you know you definitely will see more so with experienced lifters than novice lifters. Agreed. Number six, when trying a new style, work up slowly but work hard. And the key point for me here was patience. Mm-hmm. When you're going to switch something, when you're going to go from conventional to sumo, when you're going to take your grip on why, when you're going to when you're going to take on uh, a wider grip on the bench, if you're going to maybe take a wider stance on the squat. You're not going to immediately do more. Most people are not going to immediately do more weight on that different style. No, unless you're like leaking power everywhere, like which which does happen. Like some people, like the way they have, I'll use a squat stance as an example. Their legs are too narrow. They got their feet pointed, uh, you know, straight away, straight away, widening their stance and angling their feet out, you know, pleading out. That's going to immediately give them just more leverage and the ability to open up more and uh, recruit more muscle. Again, for some people, some people, they, they have that narrow stance and they got it down. I would say the general Jim bro does not. Sure. And I think he's probably talking about a little bit more experienced lifters right. in this so case. At, at his place, not somebody looking to, you know, do bench. You know, uh, Joey, who trains with us, yeah. um, he's one who really is always bench super, super narrow because mm-hmm. he has very strong triceps. And yeah. we've kind of told him, like, uh, he's got super long arms, mm-hmm. which is what makes him a great deadlifter. Yeah. He eventually needs to slowly work his grip out. We, not, tried, not, we tried to kill him last night, by the way. We'll maybe talk about that later. Oh, we will. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, you can't go from, say, you know, a super close grip to uh, all the way 
widest legal grip. Right. You need to slowly work that out one finger's width at a time. and One and, finger at a time, kids. <laughs> and that way, uh, you know, you do need patience when you're trying out a new style. Sure. Number seven, there is no excuse for lack of practice. No excuse. Consistency is key. Do the big three all in one day at least once in a while. And, you know, we'll talk about his training style mm-hmm. where he does the big three at this time. Yeah. Three or four times a week. But I, even if you don't what's, do it. Exa- what's old becomes new again. <laughs> it is. Well, we'll talk about that when you get there. <laughs> What is interesting, though, or what I think is valuable, even if you don't use the old traditional fronds, all three lifts three or four times a week, Mm -hmm. I do think there is value in occasionally, especially if you've not done a lot of meets and you don't have a lot of experience, Mm -hmm. doing all big three in one day. Maybe doing your openers all in one day to get used to, you know. That fatigue factor. Benching after you squat, Mm -hmm. deadlifting after you squat and bench. Yeah, sure. Um, At fronds, we would almost always... When we were part of that team, we would uh, we would deadlift after we squatted, and I think it built some it lower body endurance by all, almost always deadlifting after squatting. Yeah, because you're, you're unless you're doing a deadlift only meet and you're only pulling deadlift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't typically have a bench and deadlift on the same day. It, you're never gonna pull fresh ever. Yeah, almost never. Yes. And that's why a lot of times, even if I don't have people do all three together, I almost always. At least in the earlier parts of somebody's training, I'll have them do something prior to deadlifting. Be it rows, mm-hmm. be it rows in a variation of squats before deadlifting. Right. So you're building that tolerance and that endurance. Right. So there, there. I mean, there is some utility and some good thought process. And he even says, at least do the big three in one day at least once in a while. Right. Eight. A good deadlifter will always finish strong. That's, I mean... It just makes sense. You want to finish strong. You want to have that GPP to be able to finish. From a strategic standpoint, mm-hmm. you are advantaged by having a big deadlift. If you're just talking about winning, if you're talking about yes. winning and powerlifting, yes. um, I don't think we've really talked about this much on the podcast with the exception of maybe our first meet episode where mm-hmm. at least in the APF, I don't know the rules of every organization anymore because they've like the IPF has changed the rule book so much. Seemingly, they change it whenever they feel like it. Yeah. Heck, they don't have a lot of records sometimes. Yeah, at a meet that's supposedly a sanctioned. Yeah. Um, you can change your second deadlift once in the APF WPC. You can change your third deadlift twice. That is the rule. Now, if you think about that from a strategic standpoint, mm-hmm. you will always be advantaged to have a higher deadlift than your competition. Yes. Because if you have a higher deadlift with them and a higher deadlift attempt – you will always go after them. So you will right. almost always know what they have done prior to taking your attempt. So you can see what their second attempt is, uh-huh. see how that affects your total, then either change your attempt up or down. Yep. Same on your third. If yeah, you third, s- it's really important. Definitely. And you, that's why you can change it twice because you could put it in, you could see what your competition puts in for their third attempt, mm-hmm. change yours Again. accordingly, seeing what they are going to put in. Mm-hmm. No, they can then change theirs again if they want, right? Um, which you could change yours again, but then you could see wh- if you're a heavy deadlifter, you could see what your competition has done and then change yours accordingly. Now, I've done this a couple times with a couple lifters I've coached. Um, we would wait for my client's competition to complete their deadlift. Mm-hmm. 
if they missed it, sometimes a couple of times we have taken their deadlift attempt down mm-hmm. to just a s- simple PR because we've already won the meet. Right. Or if they get it, we might have to take it up mm-hmm. for the win. And that has happened at least one time prior. That's where that, that changing of deadlift attempt, you know, does come into play. Sure. And again, where you're strategically advantaged to having a higher deadlift than your competition. Right. Bodybuilding and powerlifting do not mix. Make your choice, beautiful muscles or raw power. Hmm. I agree with this. I, I just think it's ironic given his 1974 famous story of doing a powerlifting meet right. and a, a bodybuilding show on the same day. And actually, he there's a story in the book where he talks about how I didn't really take my own advice because recently I did a bodybuilding show like a week after a powerlifting meet. Right. So I think there's a lot of people that would probably disagree with this right now that, yeah, high-level bodybuilding and powerlifting don't mix. I, I would agree with And that. I think that's Ernie's point. Yeah. You can't really – you can't optimally – I don't think you can optimally compete in any two to three sports. No, you can mix and match for training. Mm-hmm. Sure. You can do some body – and I think he talks about this in the book. You can do some bodybuilding-esque training in the off-season. Oh, yeah. Hypertrophy work, I think, is incredibly important. It helps build muscle. It helps increase blood flow, which does help with injury. But I would say if you look at a lot of like – and I'll, we use raw as an example on this. You look at some of the top flight raw lifters. There's a lot of guys that like their physique is phenomenal. It's really – like Russ Orr, he always comes to mind. I mean, he's a little shorter, so it, you know it looks easier to put on muscle. Like the guy is just chiseled. He really, really is. And – so he, he could, I think, with a quick switch, he would not have to do a ton of change to compete in a bodybuilding. Now, and I see a lot of guys that, again, the, the switch wouldn't be major, but their physiques are really on point. Sure. But I think, you know, that kind of goes back to our episode of, like, what is a powerlifter? What is a bodybuilder? Sure. Are you a bodybuilder if you just, like, lift weights and look good? Basically, yeah. No. <laughs> so I think... And the- pose in your underwear, duh. Yeah, well, are you an Instagram bodybuilder or an actual hey. bodybuilder? That should be a new one, an Instagram bodybuilder. It's just Insta, Insta Fitness. Right. Like, if you're, you're an Instagram powerlifter, you know, I don't go go to meets. I just post on my lifts. All right, but I used to call them YouTube superstars. Yeah, Brad Castleberry fake weights. Fuck you, Brad Castleberry, by the way. So, uh, number 10, work with a positive attitude. A winner thinks he can. A loser never thinks. Yes. Um, and I think... The key I got of that as somebody who's handled some heavy squats that, you know, were probably far beyond uh, what I thought I could do. Sure. Training at Franz, confidence under heavy weight is something that is very key. You can't, you can't be afraid of the weight. Now, you need to have a healthy respect for it. Yep. But I do think that positive attitude and that confidence under that heavy weight, part of that is training partners, part of that is practice. Um, part of that is, you know, knowing that it's something that's within your means, but you do need to have that drive and that confidence with a heavy weight in order to complete a heavier weight. There's, there's a level of audacity you basically have to have. Like once you kind of hit like that first, that early peak, right? Because, you know, you have that like beginner strength that everybody has. Like, oh, man, just, you know, the gains are going up and it's and it's crazy. You have to have an audacity about you to say, okay, I'm a 165 or a 181 or I'm going to put 700 pounds on my back and I'm going to squat it, or I'm going to hold 500 pounds in my hand and I'm going to bench it. And because there's, there is just, again, a level of it's, it's a little bit to me, it's a little bit past confident, but not quite to cocky. I think audacity is the, the word for it, it, it for me, because it, it goes beyond just saying, I, I think I'm strong. 
or I'm pretty sure I'm strong, or I know I'm strong. Like I'm actually going to put a number to it, and I'm going to actually have myself measured. And so it, that takes a ton of uh, like I said, of audacity and confidence. I would say that this is probably even more apparent in equip lifting because oh yeah, because now you're you're not relying on the equipment, but you are yeah you're entrusting you're entrusting the equipment mm-hmm. and your ability to have the proper technique with the equipment. You yes. know, when I'm putting 475 pounds in my hands, mm-hmm. I know I can't bench that without the bench shirt. Yeah, it's true. And or the superior handoff. <laughs> certainly. <laughs> and I know that I've just got to have the confidence that I have the central nervous system mm-hmm. ability and I've got the technique and I've got the strength through the range of motion needed to yeah. press that and, weight. And the command of all, all three of those things. Right. You know, right. So there's there's a lot and it's yeah. Again, I think that's that's an audacity. It's pretty pretty badass, sir. So those are the Franz Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my favorite is uh, act like your light w- lifts are heavy, so your heavy lifts will feel light. Mm-hmm. Your favorite bane of the ten? Honestly, it's it's number ten. Work with a positive attitude. I think okay. that that confidence, I think, is a and it's interesting too because I, I feel like just like an equipped lifter really has to have those you know that level of audacity. I think myself, and this is a little braggadocious, having no supportive equipment except for a belt, I also have to have that. And, sure. And so I, I, I really feel like that confidence under heavy weight is is a big deal, and and I really, really like that because I feel like if you don't have that, the rest of this does start to eventually fall apart because at the end of the day, if I think that – if I'm not confident, I'm going to make excuses. Uh, I'm not going to finish strong. You know, The weights are always going to feel heavy. I, I can go through all those, but I think just having that general confidence uh, – you know, is really, really important. But that said, all 10 of these are interwoven. They all play off each other. Definitely. And, you know, almost all of these are, are very common sense. Common sense ain't so common, my friend. And I think no matter, even if you don't follow the tra- the Franz training style laid mm-hmm. out in the book, I think these 10 commandments can be applied to any training style for the most part. Oh, yeah. And honestly, not even just powerlifting, just any, any sport. Definitely, definitely. You, you most of these. these, yes, most of these. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they're very common sense when you read through them. Um, you know, it, like you said, common sense isn't always common. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the most uh, obvious things aren't always said out loud. Yeah. You know, things like, yes, work with a positive attitude. Things like there's no excuse for lack of practice. Yeah. You know, things like concentration separates the good from the best. Those are very, you know, I, I don't want to say they're cliche, but they're very... You know, when you say them out loud, it's like, well, of course you should concentrate. Of course you should, you know, practice. Of yeah, course you should I, have a positive attitude. But how many people do you see here at in the gym when it's open? You know, twice a week. Like that's the only training they're doing, mm-hmm. and they're and they wonder why they don't, you know, progress. Sure, and people who aren't, I think concentration. That's one, and, and it's true of me. It's true of you. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend too much time. How dare you, sir? I, I think sometimes we spend too much time looking at our phone, and we aren't concentrated on our workout. You know, Louis, and as Bane turns his phone over, <laughs> Louis, Simmons, on the camera. Louis Simmons talks about, uh, you know, uh, you know, you guys play with your phone. I used to play with my dick. I still do, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think his point was people, too yes. many people taking videos and playing with their phone at the gym. Yes. Um, or even things like, you know, you should warm up properly. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that seems very obvious, but, you know, just the simple thing of taking the empty bar a couple times or... Mm-hmm. Brian Carroll talks about doing the McGill three prior to, yep. you know, getting out of the bar and getting your core tight. Um, you know, those seem like obvious things that don't, people don't always do. Mm-hmm. 
Now let's move into the all or none concept, which is probably one of the more controversial concepts in his book. Yeah. Um, which is basically that Ernie Franz believed in heavy singles of the big three. And it, like, it makes sense to a point because you're not going to do reps in competition. And if you look at his training, and mm-hmm. I can tell you since I trained there for a couple years, mm-hmm. we did a lot of heavy singles in gear. And it's interesting because there's always been, and we've talked about that, Franz versus Westside mm-hmm. dichotomy. You know, Ernie believes in the big three all in one day with the regular bar and mostly gear. Right. Westside believes in specialty bars and specialty exercises and we- West gear. Wa- waves of different things. and Yeah. But they both believed, at least max effort work-wise, they both mm-hmm. believed in singles. Yeah. And so it's interesting that both of those very different training styles both had a large emphasis on, you know, heavy max effort single work. But I think it, when it comes down to it is it's both of them have different – it's different dialects of the same language. Where what we're saying is when you put big weights in people's hands on their backs and you, they have the proper technique to lift those things, it will create – you know, stimulus and adaptation and create more strength. Yeah. And this I don't, is, how, is this what route we're taking? To get I don't there? believe in as much heavy single work as Ernie does anymore, mm-hmm. but I will say that I got very strong when mm-hmm. I followed the front system. And I will say that there, there used to be a thought process that you shouldn't do any singles at all in training. You should always save it for the meat that I don't agree with. I do believe that, that's Eddie Cohen right there. Yeah. And I, and I just, I don't agree based mm-hmm. on my experience. And I, again, you, Eddie Cohen is a, He's he's an outlier. He's the anomaly. Yeah, he is the anomaly. Although there, there, I mean, uh, Kurt Karowski, he did that heavy double a thousand yeah. prior to his meet, and yeah. there are some that believed you should always do heavy doubles, only up to heavy doubles in training. I'm a believer that heavy singles make sense because, again, that's what you're going to do on the meet. Mm-hmm. It gets you used to, you know, not having to reset. It gets used to, you've only got one opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. we used to joke with my wife because her second squat always looked better than her first squat mm. in her sets. And we would say, hey. Her, se- her second rep always looked better. I'm sorry. Yes. Her second rep on squats always looked better than her first rep. Got it. And we would joke that in competition, we'd say, hold on. She's going to squat this once. <laughs> then give that's, her the squat That's command. part of her setup. And then give her the squat command <laughs> because her second rep always looked better. And there is something to, you know. You've only got one chance yeah. at a meet. You're only going to have, you know, one rep at a time. It's your one shot. It's like eight mile. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think that heavy singles definitely has their place in training. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite as much of a believer on Ernie's all or none, but uh, there is there is some utility in there. Sure, sure. Cycles and goals. Cycles, um, you say. Yeah, and that's not that kind of cycles. We'll talk about that later. We'll get, or a few lines from that. Yeah. Uh, but he does talk about how he uses typically a nine-week cycle into major meets, which okay. fits with what I would normally do yeah. somewhere between eight and 12 weeks. Yep. Um, and does talk about, you know, you can't always be at the heavier weight. You need to take some time. And he even says there maybe do some bodybuilding to style training yep. and then build up Helps to into recover. your meet. Um, so, and I think, again, he says, you know, you should have a goal going into a meet. Um, these are all, again, somewhat obvious things, but I think, you know, the normal thought process, especially when you take this book in the context of its time in, mm-hmm. the, in the mid-80s, mid-early 80s. Right. Um, I don't know that that having training cycles was as common as it is now. I think people just went to the gym and lifted heavy. Yeah. And so him saying, hey, you know, you should have a nine-week cycle where you're leading into your heavier lifts was something different than was done at the time. Right. Now, well, the, the, the concept of it is no different than the Olympics just at a, at a micro level versus there. It's a, you know, a four-year cycle, but the whole thing. 
point is to peak when you get to the competition day. Definitely. And Ernie did talk about that and mm-hmm. why, how we, you know, we only take our openers a week out from the meet mm-hmm. and you would do your heaviest lift two to three weeks out. Right. Um, here's probably, again, a more controversial part of the book. Um, the Franz routine mm-hmm. at this time was three, four times a week of the big three. You hear that USAPL boys and girls? <laughs> and, and here's what's interesting about that. According to Ernie and according to my, uh, partner, Howard, Howard Penrose, who mm-hmm. republished this book, Ernie's book, according to them, was the first powerlifting book that was translated into Russian. The first book, you know, from English spe- to Russian. Right. Specific to powerlifting that was translated into Russian. Mm-hmm. And at least they would claim that a lot of these, you know, high frequency, high volume squat bench deadlift multiple times a week mm-hmm. came from derivatives from people that read this original Ernie Franz book. Because at that time, Olympic lifting was b- very big in the Eastern Bloc. Sure. And Doing, Strength is just worshipped over there. Sure. And so a lot of them, again, according to Ernie and Howard to some degree, they got that, you know, high frequency, you know, big three, three to four times a week from the Ernie Franz book. So basically what we're saying is it went from Ernie to Russia behind the Iron Curtain. Once it gets lifted, it then comes back to us, and now everybody's doing it again. Right. And it's not giving Ernie credit. Yeah. Uh, I, I will tell you that the modern version of the Franz routine when I was there in the mid 2000s was basically do Wednesday, Saturday, the big three. Mm -hmm. So you would do Wednesday was more of a deadlift focus day. So it would be lighter squat to have your deadlift. Sure. Saturday was a more squat bench oriented day. Okay. Um, And then Wednesday was kind of your back and tricep emphasis days. Okay. Um, But yes, he did do, we did do all three. I didn't do it. I'll admit I never followed the full squat bench deadlift on Saturdays like many people did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that trained there at Franz, they would lift elsewhere, and then sure. they would come to Franz just on Saturdays. Sure. Typically, when I trained there, we would do squat and deadlift together on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Team Stone kind of started when myself, Jackie, my wife, and our former teammate, Jason Visney, started benching together on Sundays. Mm. Um, and originally was at Jason Visney's school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how Team Stone, you know, evolved was, okay, three of us met each other there and then mm-hmm. said, hey, you know, I don't like benching after squatting and deadlifting. I'm too damn tired. Sure. And at that time, I think Jack and I were just benching together on like whatever random day of the week we could get together at my college, which was like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. Right. And he said, hey, you know, I could open my school up and we could, you know, bench together on Sundays. Yeah, come through. Shit's lit. <laughs> yep. So that was more of the modern routine, and uh, there was assistance work on the other days. But uh, the original Franz mm-hmm. method, even even years later in the 90s, it was Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, squat, bench, deadlift. Gotcha. Monday was more the reps day. Again, Wednesday was more the deadlift back day. Saturday was the heavy squat, deadlift day. Or I mean, squat, bench day, excuse gotcha. me. Gotcha. Gotcha. But that that is the Franz routine. A lot of big three, multiple yeah, times per week. That's a lot, man. Jeepers. And he even mentions in there, well, you at least need to take it to your max once a week. It's like, whew, man, well, it, which goes right into our next, uh, our next, yeah. our next chapter, which is because uh, the reason we talk about not going to your max each week is because you need to recover. However, however, if you've got say I don't know anabolic steroids, oh, your recovery might be slightly different. Might might be a little accelerated. This is other than the forward and other than the pictures and the formatting, mm-hmm. the only text difference between the. Uh, 1984, not, excuse me, 1983 version 
and the 2013 version is this chapter. In the 2013 version, it is just called Supplements, and mm -hmm. it's very short. It basically just says, hey, you know, supplements can be valuable, but use them as a tool. Yeah. In the 1983 version, it's called Supplements and Steroids. They actually said the word. Oh, my God. Well, and, and let's take it in the context of the time, which is what well, – They weren't illegal then. Well, it's not that they weren't illegal. They weren't a Schedule Three drug in yeah. 1984. Anabolic steroids, which, again, we should eventually do a doping – you know, anabolic steroids, drug testing episode yep. and talk about some of these issues and talk about. Let's do that all with like the recovery stuff. Like we, we've talked about that a little bit. Let's do a I recovery think it, series. Sure. I think, it, I mean, steroids is such a big topic. It's certainly. It's huge. We could probably spend an entire episode just talking about the 1993, ironically pushed by current presidential candidate Joe Biden, mm -hmm. making anabolic steroids a schedule three drug, which made it. Not just illegal to have without a prescription, but criminal yeah. to have without a prescription. And Joe Biden, quote, said, there's just something un-American about anabolic steroids. Pussy. Which, if you want to see a good uh, look into that topic, there is the documentary. Is it Bigger, Bigger Stronger, Faster? Bigger, Stronger, Faster by... A really good one. By Chris Bell, Mark mm -hmm. Bell's brother. Yep. It's an excellent documentary, which goes into, hmm, is that un-American? Hmm. Another good one in that same vein is uh, Icarus. I don't know if you ever watched that one. I haven't. I kept meaning to watch it, and then my yeah, my yeah, Netflix no, subscription expired. No more Netflix. I got yeah. I got to get you my password so you can watch Tiger King too. So in, in the two versions, the nineteen eighty I'm, I'm sorry, nineteen eighty four, not nineteen eighty three. In the nineteen eighty four versus the two thousand thirteen version, mm -hmm. I looked. There's basically seven paragraphs. Right. That's it. There's seven paragraphs missing from the nineteen uh, from the two thousand thirteen version. Mm -hmm. And there's there's nothing really controversial in that chapter. He no. doesn't go into any specific cycles or specific drugs that Ernie used. He basically just says, you know, when I got older, mm -hmm. I decided to use anabolic steroids. You know, use them as a tool. You still need to do the hard work. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily recommend it to everybody. Right. And he says it's possible it could add 10%. I feel like he was just that. I feel that's fake news. He's one of the numbers of people that wouldn't bug him about it or would, would talk to him like, Oh, why do you feel ten percent? Then he could get a little more prescriptive with uh, with them if they were going to talk to him about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's possible you get a ten percent gain. It depends on when you take them yeah, and how well you take them. There's so many factors. Well, it and there's also prone you, to everything. Well, and there's also just like anything, how your body responds to the drugs. Right. Right. I mean, because certain people are going to respond to certain drugs differently than others. Right. Certain people That's why are going to. So many of them. There's going to be certain people that respond really, really well to anabolic steroids. Yeah. And you take that combined with really good genetics to begin with, and a non-tested meat, you've got really strong people. Yeah. And sometimes in a tested meat, you've got really strong people. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, but there's nothing really controversial in the no. you know in the the 1984 version. It's basically just one of those things where. But it's, it's something that you kind of have to acknowledge. We know it's in the sports. So yeah, it's there. I honestly think Howard probably could have left it in, and nobody really would have said anything. Yeah. Um, we can talk about with him next week the reasonings behind yeah. him taking that out. Because for the most part, he left the book mostly unchanged, other than there was like a few small spelling grammatical errors that never got yeah. in the beginning one. Yeah. Um, there was some very small changes to the text. But it's basically he you know, republished the book because his original thought process, and maybe still will be, um, was to – Published a second book, which is going to be more like an Ernie Franz biography, Ernie Franz, right. you know, 
story kind of book. And right. whether that'll ever come together or not, we can talk to, to Howard about that. But uh, yeah, there's really nothing super controversial about Ernie's, you know, uh, thoughts on steroids in the book. No. And again, you have to take in the context of the time, 1983, 1984, Steroids were not a Schedule Three drug, mm-hmm. and at least, at least according to, to Ernie and others, you could almost go to your doctor and be like, "Hey, I want to be strong. Yep. Can you prescribe me steroids?" Now it's just I don't want. Now I'm I'm tired all the time, so help me out. It's almost like it's come full circle, yep. because in the the late nineties, it was like nobody could take steroids. Mark McGuire, you know, and Sammy Sosa are pariahs, yeah, because they they used a drug which everybody else was fucking using and wasn't being drug tested for. I, we could really go off on a tangent on that yeah, one. Yeah, we can go. I, I think, we, yeah, we got, we got to save that for the episode. Because we I think do. It's, it's important to talk about, I mean, shit, the, the McGuire interview where it's in his locker. Well, he had Andrew in his locker. Yeah. Right. right. So Anyways, anyway, yeah, we could spend yeah. a whole, we could definitely spend a whole episode talking about that. Yeah, we're going to. We will. Um, but yeah, there's nothing super controversial. And you have to, again, look at it within the context of mm-hmm. when it was written. Yep. Yeah, I get it. Uh, diet. You know, again, you have to look at this What's book. That? You have to look at this book in that at the time this was published, it's not like you could just type in your Google machine, you know, best diet for powerlifting and mm-hmm. like nutritional info on Google. So he's got like Here, some. Here's your macros. Here's this. That stuff wasn't available back in the early 80s, maybe even the early 90s. Not, I mean, not regularly. No, I mean, there, there, dive deep on that shit. I mean, there wasn't the internet for one thing. And <clears throat> especially for a powerlifter, you know. There's some, you know, nutritional charts in here mm-hmm. that probably weren't available everywhere unless you bought like a, a nutrition textbook. Right. And that's the thing is it was, it was more textbooks and people didn't want to grab, like go buy those. And this is a very simple read. So that's right. why he probably published that info in there. But mm-hmm. he had one quote in there I thought was, was pretty valuable. It was work plus diet plus rest plus metabolism equals growth. Hmm. Pretty simple formula and makes a lot of sense to me. It really does. I mean, I would probably adjust it a little bit. I would say work plus diet plus metabolism times rest equals growth. Because I think that's a great multiplier that we just don't talk about enough is the recovery and how important that is to to building strength. And that is actually his next chapter is rest and relaxation. Hey. And one of the things he talks about the most is how important sleep is. And, you know, that's something Stan Efren talks about a lot. Is Yeah. And I, and I think that was – there was a generation that was lost on because I feel like – if you watch Westlife versus the world, that's one of the things you don't hear about. I mean, I don't understand there was a lot of other things going on there, but drugs, yeah. But it, but even at, like some of the even you know the monster garage, like we don't we just over the last probably three years or so started really talking about sleep and how important that is. And I think part of that too was about three years ago was when Eric got his CPAP. And, and there's a lot of powerlifters like that who mm-hmm. you know probably had sleep apnea for years if you're a bigger dude. Right. And so, you know, you suddenly get that rush of oxygen in your body and you're like, you feel like a new man. Yeah. Uh, I do think sleep is very important. Something mm-hmm. that I don't probably emphasize enough, but I, I don't get ter- I'm not a person who gets terrible sleep. I don't stay up all night. I don't go to bed super, super late. Um, but we, I, we won't get into my sleep habits. But I would say that uh, that is something that Ernie emphasized, which is interesting yeah. back in the 80s that he emphasizes being very important. Right. Um, and he also just talks in general about, you know, the need for relaxation and downtime, which again, I, I would agree with. I, I agree hundred percent. He has a couple cha- short chapters on spotting for safety and on, on training partners. And the keys that I got out of this was that, you know, how important a team is and can be important for heavy lifting and having people around you. Yeah. I mean, with the team, like you know, the, the questions have been posed is powerless in an individual or team sport. And the answer is yes. 
And it's an individual sport that is often expressed in a team format. I was going to say the opposite. It's a team sport expressed in an individual format because you, when you're when you're an equipped lifter, you're not doing that by yourself. You're not training. By no, yourself. no, no doubt. You're There's definitely no way. You, it's very hard. Yeah, and so yeah, so I, I think it's the team is incredibly important from a variety of, of factors. I mean, you're going to have those days. I know you've had this, you know, in the past, Eric. I've had it too, where you walk in the gym, you're like, I do not want to fucking be here right now. I don't want to be lifting. I don't want a barbell in my hand. I just want to go home, eat a bunch of chicken wings, and just fall asleep. And having people around you that push you and that are in the zone and or getting ready for a meet, that changes things. That that either, if nothing else, forces you to go through the motions, and that helps you, you know, along the path. And I think that team is just incredibly important to consistent progress. And not just in training, but one of the reasons why I think this business will eventually succeed when this quarantine ends mm-hmm. and why I think gyms and events won't go away and it won't go totally to home gyms. Mm-hmm. I think I think home gyms have the plausibility to really affect some of the big box gyms. Cause those oh, are the type oh of, yeah. I do think that there's going to be a bunch of people that decide, eh, I don't want to go back to export LA Fitness, whatever. Yep. But I think places like this and Monster Garage and Barbell 413 and mm-hmm. Surge and others that have kind of that that team community. That nucleus, yeah. I think the the accountability factor. Oh my gosh, yes. Is, I mean, because I'll tell you that the workouts that I miss or that I probably put the least mm-hmm. amount of effort into is the ones that I do by myself. Mm-hmm. And that's coming as somebody who has been lifting weights for twenty plus years and been right. powerlifting for twenty years and right. have not missed an, an incredible amount of workouts over that twenty years. There's just something about having the people around you. That- right. There's that that accountability of knowing, like, mm-hmm. well, hey, I'm the coach, so yeah. I better at least put a monicum of effort towards it or, you know, people, people will notice that. Yeah. Or I just keep saying I, I'm stronger than Joey and I got to stay that way. <laughs> I wonder, we should earmark some of these and say, uh, just pull out those little Joey <laughs> comments so we can listen to them. Maybe, maybe we do. We do love you, Joey. He will never listen to this. Maybe if it's on YouTube, maybe because he's a YouTube child. You know, it was interesting. We had, after training last night, probably a 10 minute conversation of me just like trying to do brain surgery on the kid and kind of, I won't go into it all here because I think it's an important thing for, to be present for, but just why we bust his balls so much. And just again, part of it is because it's fucking fun. Uh, but just, we, we went about a 10 minute, I I guess I'd call it a rant or tirade, whatever, uh, about why we do it. And I'm like, dude, you just got to get your head out of your ass. Well, and the other thing I think, uh, not specific to Joey, yeah. but let's just talk generally speaking. If we don't say anything about anything you're doing, mm-hmm. we probably don't care. Basically, yeah. So if we're... And when we're constantly on you, because we care a lot. Yeah, and because we think you could do better. Yeah, basically, because you can. Still stronger <laughs> than you. Anyway. So let's move on. <laughs> um, he's got another short chapter on injuries and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. To me, it kind of goes back to the same idea, you know, rest, warm up technique. Those are your keys because he talks about, he talks about, you know, the best way to avoid injuries or the best way to deal with injuries to avoid them in the first place. Yep. And the best way to do that is, you know, proper rest, proper warm up and proper technique on the big three. Yep. Agreed. Women's powerlifting. Um, again, another short chapter. He did talk about this a little bit in his bio, which I got to believe that if this was written now, that this chapter is a lot bigger. Well, because at this time, his he had a decent-sized women's team. I mean, he had Maris. He had his wife, Diane. He had mm-hmm. Felicia. We talked about it the Enzer. Mm-hmm. Or, um, excuse me. The Franz IPF lawsuit. Um, but he was one of the first yeah. 
women's teams back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, because you think about it in the 80s. We got to think about the context of the time. Yeah. Even going back to the early 80s, maybe the late 70s. Oh, w- women would never touch a barbell. Right. I mean, gosh, you even think about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, it, even, yeah, 10. Yeah, 10 years ago, women generally would not touch a barbell. Yeah. I mean, 90s. I don't, it was not as common to see women lifting weights. We've right. talked about in this podcast, and I've talked about when I first started running meets 15 plus years ago, mm-hmm. it would be a big, Women's turn out to have ten to twelve women lifters in a meet. Yeah, and, and now we, now have we could have fifty day. to sixty. I mean, hell, the the state meet we could have had an entire day of just women if we had one platform. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but yeah, he does talk a little bit about the women's powerlifting. He talked about his wife Diane becoming mm-hmm. a lifter and a bodybuilder. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Maris Sternberg, who's yep. a pioneer in women's powerlifting. Legend. And you know, give Ernie some credit because again, we t- we think about it in the context of the time. He empowered. He not just had women as power lifters. He had women in positions of power in leadership, the APF, yeah. in yeah. leadership. Mary Sternberg was the original secretary of the APF. Mm-hmm. He empowered her to be kind of the the MC and the person in charge at the table. When yeah. at that time, I'm sure it was much more common to have a dude, you know, always in charge at meets. Right. And Maris was not the type of lady that you fucked around with. I can tell you that. <laughs> and if somebody did, uh, they probably they probably paid for it very. They dearly. probably yeah they. Maris would have cut, to use a, a wrestling term, Maris would have cut a promo on them that uh, oh, God, they wouldn't have forgotten. That would have been awesome. Uh, common complaints uh, about, you know, soreness and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The only thing I got of that was that you, you, you do need to change up your training occasionally. Yeah, um, don't, don't become so specific that the only thing you can do is squat by deadlift. The powerlifting myth section I thought was, the only one I thought was interesting was, you know, his first myth was powerlifters are dumb, and I just, <laughs> I just jokingly said, I'm not sure I disagree with that. I mean, uh, it, it, I wanted to play some devil's advocate with that. I, I know you're joking, but tongue in cheek, yeah, very much. You know, yeah, there, there are some. There are just some like meathead grunt worker type guys. They're, I don't want to say dumb, but they are probably le- lower on the intelligence scale, right? Well, we talked about that uh, earlier this week when we had our discussion with Anthony Oliveria, where he yeah. said there are some. Some stupid strong dudes. Oh yeah, and and we say stupid strong like they the, their stupid strong stupid. and stupid. Right, exactly. And but you look at like lifelong lifters, guys that have been doing this for 20, 30 years. You know, forty year old guys have been lifting for you know twenty five years. Uh, and especially those that continue to progress through that. You know, there's some of those innovative people I know. I always think of like Donny Thompson, right? Like sure, that gosh. dude is constantly coming up with new weird shit. That ten years after he comes up with it is like the, the latest, greatest thing, and everybody's doing it. Well, and Howard and I have often compared Donnie Thompson to Ernie Franz because yeah. they're both kind of those like savant genius types that will have a 100 ideas. Yeah. 90 to 95 of them are just crazy, mm-hmm. but those those one to two to three to four to five of them are just absolutely genius. Right. But it's because is is that intelligence and that creativity universal? Not necessarily. And so they could be seen as. I'm not as creative as Donnie Thompson or Ernie right. Franz, that's for sure. Right. And Ernie just had that mind that was constantly going. Yeah. And we're not going to be able to go through all the Ernie Franz stories today no. since we're talking about his book. I mean, we're on episode three of him and we still haven't really scratched the surface. No, but I mean, he had such, we, we talked about last week, even with the monolift, he had the mm-hmm. innovative reverse, the first reverse monolift yeah. with built-in weight trees and built-in, you know, light lights on the monolift. Again, yeah. I don't, I, I should post a picture of that, but he had the lights built into the top of the monolift, which it's was crazy. just cool. It is. And it was a, it was a, it was a platform. It was a monolift and it was all built into one and looked awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
there was that, you know, just innovation, creativity that uh, most people like don't have, like Donnie yeah. Thompson or any Franz. Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting when we had Donnie Thompson here. I know you weren't around for that. Yeah. Your, your buddy Sean Coplin was, but. He was. But Ernie came to that seminar and listened. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at that seminar that Donnie put on, and Donnie thought that was one of like the. I think for Donnie that was a highlight for him. Oh yeah, was for sure. To have Ernie Franz there, listening to him talk, and then he got to temper Ernie Franz as well. Yeah, and I think he, I think that made his trip was the yeah. ability to kind of work on Ernie and, you know, I mean that's like you know. Uh, uh, people get a chance to meet Arnie or something like that. Like it's just right. the chance to to meet somebody who you looked up to is uh, it's incredible. It's and awesome. not just, but actually, somewhat listen and to engage, you talk, yeah. right? Listen to you talk about something, yeah. and then let you, you know, use your expertise Demonst- on demonstrate, them. Yeah. demonstrate your expertise. On you bet. Them. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a listing of the the official rules of powerlifting. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how little the rules have changed. Hmm. So squat below the top of the knee and bench. Yeah, yeah. pretty basic. Mm -hmm. Doesn't change too much. Um, In the powerlifting now and in the future chapter, it's interesting because he does mention steroids there. Mm -hmm. And he kind of mentions in passing saying, like, you can't just take steroids and expect to be strong. You still have to put in the work. Yeah. So that was left in, even though the other part of the other chapter was not. I wonder if, well, I guess we we talked hard about that. So we'll ask uh, the thought process behind it. But it feels like that one's almost like a tongue-in-cheek comment when that's the only thing in there regarding performance and answers. Definitely. Um, he's got a number of interviews of, of lifters at the time. Mm-hmm. Maris Sternberg, Rudy Rudiger, yeah. who if you don't know, there's a local guy. All, all the Rudiger brothers are known as Rudy. None of them yeah. are actually named Rudy. Right. Just Rudy is their nickname, but yep. they're all Rudy, 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 Rudy. There's like five brothers. Yep. Francis Rudiger is the local guy who owns Rudy's gym in mm-hmm. it's technically Shorewood, yep. Joliet area. Joliet Catholic football coach. And if you've ever gone to our meets... His high school boys are typically the the main workers, the mm-hmm. spotters and loaders of our right. meets. But the movie Rudy mm-hmm. is based on Daniel Rudiger. His brother. His brother, mm-hmm. who's a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. Went, and went to my middle school, actually. He came to my middle school as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I was struck by how short he was. Shorter than me. Yeah. He's a, he's a little guy. Uh, and the brother in the movie is a composite character, but based a lot around Francis Rudiger, who's the Rudiger. Rudy, we know. Yes, who goes to our meets, like has competed alongside us, everything. Rudy has the first check, his first, like, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call that when you... Royalties. His first royalty check, he's got that framed at Rudy's gym. Yep, That's, so. which is cool. And, and actually, it was funny. The first time I met him was at 2016 Nats in uh, Idaho Falls. Okay. And introduced to him, Francis Rudiger. I'm like, and before I even got it out of my mouth, you know, like the like the movie. He's like, yep, like the movie. <laughs> Like, how many times have you asked that question? It's like, I could not even tell you, Mike. I, I can imagine. Well, I met him when I, when I was a high school kid, and mm-hmm. he was judging at one of my, I think my second or third meet. Okay. And he, they red-lighted me for dropping my deadlift too roughly on my okay. second deadlift, and he pulled me up and yelled at me mm-hmm. and told me to do it better the next time. And he said, yeah, you know, by the way, I'm the Rudy from the movie. I'm like, really? No, not really. That's my brother. <laughs> so... He's that's got hilarious. that kind of sense of humor. Yeah, but that's funny. some interesting uh, interviews from that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not worth not worth us going through here. But if you buy the book, they're interest, kind of an interesting time capsule. Yeah, for sure. Um, so other than that, um, 
what are the differences between the 1984 versus the 2013 version? I'm going to hold them up again. Yeah. Here's the original cover. You want to hold that up, Bane? Michelle. I actually like the original picture better. Here's the new one. I, I mean, way like the original better. I mean, I like this picture. I think maybe this one's more like aesthetically pleasing as far as like the picture, the, the color and the picture. I feel that's a great back cover picture, though. Appealing to the masses. Yeah. Um, and we could talk to Howard about this next week, mm-hmm. but I think the reason they used that one versus that one is he could not get the originals of a lot of these pictures. They had, oh, gotcha. They had been lost because um, Ernie had given them to other publishers and other people. And yeah. It, actually, the picture quality in the new book is far superior to the old book. The old book has – Superior quality. The old book you know, has kind of like almost photocopies in them. Okay. Um, other than this one, which is pretty good quality – the back cover now there's no picture on there right uh but that's one thing i noted from the the old versus the new i kind of like some of the formatting better in the older version it has a lot of kind of like i don't want to say useless but you know non-used pages Mm -hmm. but i kind of liked how there was a full page of the ten commandments um i feel like the original version lent itself more to almost like a a interactive where like here's a great you know the all-or-one concept right you have all this over here where you can basically like take notes, add your own stuff in there. I think that's whether that was done on purpose or not. I, I feel like it was, it lent itself more to, to that. Yeah. I, I'll admit, I like some of the formatting better in the old version. Mm-hmm. If I had to make a guess, and this is just a guess, we can ask Howard next week. My guess is that Howard is probably looking to reduce on the overall printing costs. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, because he realized that this wasn't like a huge money making project. No. It was more this, of a... This is a passion project for sure. 100%. And he, he can he can speak more on that next week. Yep. But I, that's my guess is why some of those things got compacted. Mm-hmm. A few of the charts in the 1984 version were lost. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, I think part of that is Howard couldn't actually get those things. Right. And he couldn't just take a photocopy of the old one. Right, right. Um, But the, the picture quality is much better than the new one. There's okay. some of the pictures from the old book that are missing from the new one. Yep. And there's some, there's some, I love the pictures in both of them. Like even if you don't want to read it, just you know thumbing through the book and looking through the pictures is cool. It's a cool time capsule of oh, it really is. Ernie Franz. Howard did find some newer photos that are cool. And when I say newer, not newer as in the 2000s, but like some 90s pictures of sure. Jose Garcia, yeah, and some things like of Ernie lifting in the early 2000s, some things like that that, that were pretty cool because Ernie he was pretty good on taking and saving pictures. Yeah, he was, um, I think, one of the few, because, like, Louis is, was not. He was not big on, other than, like, the stuff they were selling. But he there wasn't a ton of old stuff from them. Right. And uh, one of the things that Howard and I are working on is uh, some kind of Ernie Franz Hall of Fame that will eventually kinda. shrine that we'll set up at the gym here with a bunch of Ernie's old stuff. Awesome. Um, pictures. He's got a ton of pictures and trophies and all kinds of stuff like that. Again. It was crazy. He's probably lost more, like, than will ever be displayed. Undoubtedly, it's, especially because his gym burned down. Yeah, um, I'm sure some were lost in there. Um, but yeah, and that's something that Howard can kind of talk to you about next week or whenever we schedule that interview. Sure, he can kind of talk about the process of going from the old to the new. One of the, I think, probably one of the more interesting stories was that no original manuscripts existed hmm. um, of this. Ernie didn't even have a copy of the book. Wow! And so, in order to take this one and make it this one, he had an intern from. Uh, Northern Illinois University, literally retype transcribe this whole thing. Literally retype the book shit. from the original. I think Eric Marosher lent Howard his original. 
Wow. One of the original books. And he had a, he had a college student literally just type it out. That's insane. That's crazy. So that is, uh, I'd say that is all on the book. Um, any, any other thoughts on this, uh, Bane? I mean, you know, so much of what we get as far as feedback does revolve around Ernie. And I, and I know that there's, there, there's just so much to tell about this man. And, I love this. It was interesting because my first meet was a 2014 state meet. I don't know if that was the first time that they sold the Ten Commandments of Power. The it, new it was one of the first times, yes. Yeah, because I remember what a big deal it was. That it's that actually was right here. I've got my uh, yeah. myself and my wife have got our uh, sign and transcription from Ernie, and mm-hmm. this was from 316, 2014. That is my birthday. That was my very first meet. That is uh, – I think the first time that he publicly was selling it, and he sold probably the most books that weekend. Oh yeah, they were he was, flying because he was selling them, and he was because I mean, people like me, I I owned the old version, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a a text reason to get the new version, but I wanted the new one to a to support Ernie, mm-hmm. b to get him to sign it. Yeah, and that's I mean, to me, this is as valuable as anything else is, you know, Ernie signing this for my wife and I. Sure, um, as important as anything for me. You bet. You bet. And, you know, one of my favorite things about Ernie is he he gives time to everybody that, that asks for it, right? And the 2019 Illinois State meet, uh, you know, Lily actually went up and talked to him, you know, at my behest. And he sat and talked to Lily for a solid 15 minutes. He doesn't know this girl from anybody. He'll just talk to anybody. For right. <laughs> now, she happened to have a Monsterettes shirt on, so he knew she was connected to Eric, which helped a ton. Okay, sure. Uh, but it was just really, really cool that, you know, he was so so willing to do that again made her day because when she realized who Ernie was other than just some guy that dad told her to talk to, uh, you know, just absolutely made her day that somebody who's an absolute living legend in the sport uh, just sat and talked to her like, you know, basically like a grandpa. And that's kind of what he is to the sport at this point. Yeah. And he was going to be here at the Illinois State Meet this year. Whenever yep. we reschedule it, he will be here for at least part of it, depending on his health. And I, uh, I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. At this point, we love Howard and I always invite him to meets if his health uh, allows, mm-hmm. and he loves just to come hang out and yeah. talk. And, I mean, and there'll be a line of people waiting to talk to him. Oh yeah, and he'll he'll part of it is he talks to people for so long. <laughs> yes, I mean even uh, longer than we talk. N- yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I called him a couple weeks ago, a to check on him, see how he's doing in this mm-hmm. quarantine, b to see if he could remember anything about that IPF lawsuit. Yep. Um, I think I also asked him a little bit about the monolith stuff. At eighty five, eighty six, it's hard for him to remember some of those fine-tuned details. Yeah. Um, but it was good. I mean, it was at least a 30, 45-minute conversation. And that was just <laughs> to ask him a couple of questions. Yeah. So, yeah. But we will do more episodes on Ernie. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Howard's assistant, Charlie Stevens, had spent some time. He had a bunch of, like, literal cassette tapes where he had told stories that he sure. transcribed that sure. eventually I told Howard, at the very least, we can dive into those, even if a book is never written, which I hope it is. Yeah. Howard can talk about that next week. Yep. Um, even if a book is never written, at the very least, we can kind of dive into those stories and, and pick some of those apart because there's some pretty interesting stories. Like oh, the, yeah. the Austrian uh, powerlifting official that uh, was planning his assassination. Yep. Um, yeah, you, know, you heard that right, folks. Yeah. The WPC South Africa meets where yeah, the drug yeah. testing officials came in and we're going to drug people test were, everybody. People were running out of the building. People, yeah. People were literally, they were literally yep. like running out of the ballroom. Yep. Um, and there's a bunch of stories like that that Ernie, you know, in the past, when I first met Ernie, he was you know, just razor sharp and when his late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, again, when you've lived as long as Ernie has and had as many stories, it, when you get in your mid-80s, it's hard to remember everything. Sure. 
Sure. Um, you know, you start to forget some of those stories. Uh, when I first met him, you know, A, he was ripped. Yeah. As a late 60s guy, he was ripped. He, yeah, was, he was shredded. He was definitely the uh, the guy that, you know, was in the picture. You know, doctors hate him. Uh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> well, and uh, I don't which, think that's... Which is that's, now been taken over by John I don't think this is in either book, but he squatted 826 at 63 years old. That's fucking insane. Yeah, and it was equipped, and it wasn't drug tested, but... Who cares? But yeah, he squatted 826 at 63. Um, I had a guy come up to me at a, a health club that I worked out at that told me, well, you know, if you keep squatting like that, you're, you're never going to be able to do anything when you're older. And I said, I looked at him, I said, you know, my coach is, you know, almost 70. Mm-hmm. When he was 63, he squatted 800 pounds. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, you might be able to squat, but you won't be able to run. And I said the to him, like, fuck cares. Who wants to run, though? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Fuck all that. This was a guy that would run laps on the concrete floor tennis court, which would undoubtedly do more pounding on your joints than squatting ever would. Oh, 100%. Story for another time. But, yeah, yeah I, I think this has been a good episode to go through the books. Mm-hmm. I recommend you can still buy this book now. Yep. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy the ebook. Um, just search Ernie Franz, Ten Commandments of Powerlifting. You yep. buy either the ebook or the the uh, the hardcover copy. Um, this one's interesting. You know, if you see it on eBay, sometimes it's decently expensive. It's it's perhaps worth a look just for nostalgia value. Sure. Um, but maybe we will post up the link to uh, buying it. Uh, Success by Design, which if you can kind of see on the, the spine there, yep. my partner Howard Penrose republished it. Um, that's not why we went through it. I wanted to go through it just because it's uh, a... Yeah. It's we would have gone through it no matter what. It's a time capsule of uh, a pioneer in the sport, mm-hmm. the godfather of powerlifting, Ernie Franz. Yeah, you bet. Anything else to add, Mr. Bain? That's all I got tonight, man. Well, with that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.